Hi folks, it's Colin here from the podcast, just to give you a quick update and announcement before we begin with the main episode proper. All previous episodes of the Jibberfish podcast are now available on YouTube. We've used the site as a backup in the event that somehow you can't get to us through your regular podcasting apps. As Season 0 was already up on the site, it felt right to put the entirety of Season 1 up there and to date there are 42 episodes, with this one being the 43rd. We'll also be uploading new episodes onto YouTube at the same time as we put them up on the RSS feeds, just in case YouTube is your preferred place for podcasts. You can find the link to our YouTube channel available on our Twitter page, at Jibberfish. Feel free to check it out. And in the meantime, let's get on with the show. Well, we may be surrounded by three new strains of COVID here in the UK, but we're here to talk gibberfish, aren't we, Dom? Yep, we are still here. Until we until we ourselves mutate into a new strain of gibberfish, yeah. where we are just beamed directly into your thoughts. We do spread 40% faster this way, so we're looking forward to the ascension. Yep. It's going to be interesting. I, I just, this, this whole COVID thing has just got me so pissed off. Take the people that invented, or the country that invented the phrase, keep calm and carry on to invent a new strain of fucking COVID because people wanted to get to their work down in London. Who actually wants to work in London? That's my first question. Which serial killer? <laughs> you go to London, you get stuck in traffic or you get stuck on buses. There's no time to work. <laughs> I, I, I know people who work in the London area and like, it fucking sucks down here. <laughs> Everything takes too long to happen and yet we're supposed to be like a fast, like non-stop city and yet we spend all yeah, of it stuck in traffic. I, uh, I, so this has been the first podcast in a while, and uh, I want to say yeah. thanks to people who stuck through us with this one, uh, it was been a long uh, time for us to get back online, half of it being uh, me moving uh, across town to a new flat, which was uh, pretty, pretty decent, uh, my brother helped me out with that one, uh, we're all like masked up, like moving shit back and forward, it looked sketchy yeah. as all hell, because uh, like I wear so, like, the, the, the snood, the balaclava type thing. So it's me jumping in and out the back of a van with a balaclava on, taking shit from households and putting it in other households. Kind of amazed <laughs> I didn't get arrested. You guarantee, uh, I guarantee some old biddy was sitting in her front room, phoning the police going, hello, there's a, there's a man in a balaclava taking stuff out of a van. I can't tell if he stole it or bought it, but I'm scared. <laughs> I, uh, what was it at one point? I jumped literally out the van and just yelled, Durka Durka from, uh, team, uh, from Team America. <laughs> It just looked so fucking sketchy. I was like, I'm done. I'm leaning into this now. But uh, after that, half of my issues with uh, moving into the new flat were basically getting set up uh, with an internet connection. So that's... (laughs) It was a fucking nightmare trying to get a company here who... Now, with with Jibberfish, we don't name names when it comes to, like, shit-talking people and companies. We'll spread positivity, but... uh, when it comes to just trashing certain companies and uh, certain people, we just don't do that. I uh, I feel like we make the exception here. Yeah, call them out. Make sure people... I mean, technically, don't look at it as you're trashing another company. You're doing a public service to make sure that people are savvy to this kind of problem. Okay, yeah, that's true. So uh, my issues stem with signing up from BT. You're doing your civic duty. <laughs> this, is, this is national service here. Um, yeah. 
So I had previously been with Virgin Media. After all, we are Jabberpush, a government organization. Oh, that's very true. We do have the .org uh, email address. That's... <laughs> Uh, so previously I'd been with uh, Virgin Media. I did try and get them to do the connection for the new flat just because I really like their service, uh, which may totally contradict everything Dom's about to tell us. But uh, I signed yeah. up with BT, and this was, I think, November 12th. And they say, your service will begin November 24th. You get a package out a couple of days or a day earlier, at least, with uh, your new hub, which is like your, uh, your router and uh, your connection at the same time. So I'm like, cool, uh, it arrives on the 21st, and then they say, plug it in on the 24th and leave it on for 24 hours, and hopefully, by before midnight on the 24th, you'll have a connection. Wake up on the 25th, and uh, no, nothing, nothing whatsoever. Uh, so I make a phone call, uh, through, or actually use their like text chat feature thing that they've got on the website, like the automated help, um, and they say they can have an engineer come out and look at it, but I need to be in the house. So I have to set a date that I'm available, and unfortunately, just because of my schedule, it's not until like December first. So at this point, I have gone, I think it's about three weeks without an internet connection, and starting to run out of uh, Dragon Ball DVDs. So I just kind of say, okay, I'll, I'll you know, keep going. And uh, yeah, this was really weird because they were asking a lot about how they needed to uh, be in the house. So they had to be COVID compliant while they were in doing the service. So they're asking about, uh, are you or anyone in the house COVID uh, positive? Any possible positive results? Anybody who's symptomatic or uh, anyone with a previous exposure at the moment? I uh, said, no, it's just me. It's fine. Uh, any dogs in the house? Anything like that we need to worry about? Because, you know, dogs go kind of nuts for service people. Nah, it's all good. Uh, December 1st rolls around. Uh, there was actually no visit to my house, so which is very strange. But apparently the uh, engineer visited the local uh, substation, which is just like apparently down the road from me. It's like literally around the corner and said that the work was done. So everything was fixed and good to go. They said wait until midnight again to check the connection. Nothing happens. Uh, <laughs> well, this uh, like December 2nd, um, before I got work, I actually just phoned BT directly and I have a 40-minute phone call with BT. 30 minutes of which I'm on hold for. So you get that jingly music? Yeah. I don't know if I... I can't remember if I said this on the podcast or not, but uh, recently my brother bought a 4K TV and it came with a massive bookmark in it. Did I tell that story on the podcast? I don't think so. Oh, well, uh, bought a new TV. Uh, fucking cowboys delivered it and it ended up with a massive crack in the screen. It was on hold for about roughly the same length of time as Colin, you know, half an hour in between different conversations and getting punted to different people. And they had Yoko Ono hold music. Oh, no. I was on hold for a grand total of about an hour and a half with about, you know, sporadic 10 minutes of conversation in between. So we'll say an even hour and 10 minutes. 70 minutes of my fucking life <laughs> listening to Yoko Ono trying to get my brother's 4K TV sorted. That is more than anyone should have to spend listening to Yoko Ono. But uh, I get th- oh shit! <laughs> I get you can't. Uh, but I get thirty minutes of music, and what's weird to me is I, I say this uh, because BT is such a big company; they are so foundational to British telecoms. They are literally called British telecoms, um, and also they laid the fucking cable that connects your phone to whoever else you want to speak to. 
everyone else in the UK has to deal with BT in some way, even other companies, very rarely lay their own cable. They just pay BT for access to the cable they put in hundreds of years ago. Like, that is how dominant BT are when it comes to British telecoms. There is no uh, other possible first place. Uh, so, what's weird about this, though, is I, at certain points, have phone calls with people that just drop out. Like, this 40-minute phone call isn't just one continuous call. A lot of it is a 10-minute phone call to someone who can't fix my problem, so they tell me to phone another number. At one point, I'm having a phone call with a random woman who says, I've only, I'm only, like, my third day on the job. I need to get my supervisor to deal with this. Cool, fine. She goes, I'm going to put you on hold. Cue the shitty music. Uh, by the way, which is weirdly distorted. Like, it sounds like someone's actually just left the phone next to your radio that's playing music. But it's the same, like, beat on a loop. But, uh, yeah, so I'm having this great phone call. I hear her come back to her station. I hear her fumble around with the phone. And then the line just cuts out. That's it. <laughs> I, at this point, have fucking lost it. I am just completely uh, unable to actually have a conversation with these people at all because it's just so infuriating. But pick up the phone and say, look, I need to just get this over and done with. I'll try and get something booked. I do. And I'm getting something booked for December 5th. So this is like the next day I'm off. It actually kind of works out quite well for me. Um, But I spend all of December 5th waiting. And I think this is one of the days I've contacted you about this. Because I mentioned the fact that I've spent all day in the house being told that there's a technician coming to the house definitely to check all the lines. And that I will have service by the end of the day. Hell or high water, it's going to happen. Nobody comes to the door. And then I go to check out the my BT page, which is like your profile with the company. And I yep. notice that like there's a button that says, oh, like, here's, there's an update on your fault. So I click on it and see what's going on. They've set it to finished. I have had no, there's no way in hell they've done anything because I can't connect. I go all the way back through my setup and startup for the, the hub. Nothing's changed. It's still the same issue. At this point, I have completely just given up and I go and buy a litre of bourbon and I proceed to drink it all by myself. <laughs> um, so December 6th, I somehow wake up in one piece, uh, mildly hungover. Uh, and just decide to call the complaints department. Like, rather than deal with the technical or customer service side, I'm like, fuck it, this is a complaint. I, they've lied to me. I am going to just go through the complaints department. At this point, I meet the hero uh, of the story, who is a random woman from the Belfast team. I did not catch her name. Uh, unfortunately, I, I can't remember what it was. But uh, a random Irish woman happens to pick up my phone call. And she, at this point, she just decides to take it personally. Like, everything I'm complaining about, she's like... I can't believe this happened to the company I work for. And uh, we go through all the details of everything that's happened up to this point. And she's uh, like, okay, here's how we're going to sort this. I'll send you a mini hub, which is a connection to what BT has, which is like a kind of all-encompassing open Wi-Fi. It's like, this will be a permanent connection, top tier. It'll be basically a, a mini Wi-Fi hub for you to connect to that's just yours. I'm like, okay, cool. But the, the mini hub will basically just sit in the room and I can use that as a Wi-Fi connection while she is going directly to a, a supervisor for the local area's BT Open Reach team who will definitely get out uh, a person to visit the home and check out what's been going on and what's actually happened with uh, all the work that's supposedly been done so far. 
earliest it can happen is what day was it? December eighth. So I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, but she's like, okay. I need to take details just to confirm I'm sending the the hub to the right address. During this point, there's a weird uh, like clicking noise that happens on the line, and then for some reason we are now talking with a ten second delay. So I say something. I would say, oh, uh, I can't really hear you right now. Ten seconds of silence go by, and she says, hello, can you hear me? <laughs> It is insanity just in this phone call, and all I hear over the line is, I can't help with this phone call right now, I'm taking a note of your number, I am going to call you back, and she hangs up. Okay, mm-hmm. this is uh, a little worrying, but sure enough, she does call me back, and uh, she just says to me on the line, I have no idea what just happened with our phone call there, but it happened to everyone in the room I'm with. <laughs> and remember... These are the people that laid the literal fucking lines every phone call happens on in the UK. And I can't have a fucking phone call with these people. It's amazing. It is, at this point, I'm staring at my phone in disbelief like, I don't think I want to be with these people. I really am worried now. What's going to happen to my home when I install a BT hub? It sounds like the entire complaints department just had their calls recorded. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's at best they've had them recorded. Or something just like someone just flipped a switch that they had no business flipping. Like they should not have touched shit in that room. And all of a sudden it's like everything just a 10 second delay and no one can actually hear what the other one's saying. Uh, good luck figuring that one out. But we got on with the rest of it. Uh, the rest of the phone call was fine. And uh, yeah, we she sends a package out rapid delivery. Uh, weirdly enough, it did actually arrive on the 8th, the same day as the technician. So didn't actually get to use the hub which was a shame because it sounded quite cool i was quite interested to see how it worked because at this point i've been using uh bt like open wi-fi for like a week or so just to try and keep up yeah. with emails and stuff it's so bad it, oh it's so think hotel wi-fi but with less signal oh fuck yeah i, I would have just went without or you just abused my 4g to keep up I did and ran out of uh, data. <laughs> and I have a pretty okay. comprehensive data package with uh, the company that does my mobile stuff. But they just said, uh, you run out of data, uh, we're giving you a free extra gig of data and I tore through that in two or three days, I think. Uh, just people sent me stuff and I'm like, okay, great, I'll uh, download all these images. And I just immediately halved uh, the amount of available data that I had and then just had a phone call that just totally fucking ruined it as well. Didn't realise that the phone call was going through technically through uh, uh, WhatsApp. So it's technically a data service. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> all, of my, all of my data is no longer available. Uh, if I keep using data, I get charged through the fucking nose for it. And I have no Wi-Fi. So I'll use BT's open yeah. Wi-Fi. Which, as I say, might be one of the worst services uh, for Wi-Fi outside of hotels. Make, hey, yeah, makes makes uh, McDonald's and hotel Wi-Fi seem good. Oh, McDonald's Wi-Fi is a good example, actually, yeah. Um, so we basically go through, uh, on the 8th, engineer comes through, he goes, I'm going to the box first, like the local uh, substation, and I'm going to see what's happening there, and then I'm going to come to you in like half an hour. Excellent. He comes over, and he's like, I'm going to be honest with you, mate, you've never been connected to BT. Ever. What? <laughs> he goes, no, I looked at the wiring myself. I don't think anyone has ever connected your line to the substation. So I need to go and do that. And it's like, 
an hour of back and forth, maybe just to get the right line to make sure we're connecting my uh, my hub to the actual right connection board over in the substation. And the guy's going back and forth and he's like, okay, I'm just going to take the socket out of the wall and replace it because your socket's from like the 1970s <laughs> and uh, it's horrifically outdated. I'm just going to give you the brand new one and just put it in for no, like, he was like, like you're just so fucked. <laughs> it is much easier for me to go in and completely rewire uh, your connection to us than it is to actually try and make this work. So, okay, cool. So, after maybe like three hours, I'm fully connected back onto BT. I'm not joking. He pushes two buttons and it immediately turns back on. And that was, uh, it was unreal. Uh, just to like, have such a level it genuinely of makes you wonder how the, what the fuck those other guys were doing. <laughs> if it took this guy two pushes of a button, what the fuck were those other guys doing? Sit playing Among Us or something on the phone? <laughs> I mean, I, I think on my end it's two button pushes. On their end, it is actually finding a literal cable and connecting it to the right port in a yeah. room full of cables and ports. And I'm like, I th- he, he said, I don't know if those guys ever went in that building. And I can't entirely <laughs> guarantee it. <laughs> There was a chance they showed up to the job and went, I don't have time for this, and left. I'm like, wow. <laughs> so I, uh, he says to me, for the first 24 hours, you need to basically push your connection as hard as possible to make sure that BT knows that you're like being connected, that you want data sent through the connection. He says you are, as I say, like 100 yards from the, the, the proper substation, um, you will have a great connection. You just have to push it as fast as you can. Uh, so I was like, okay, cool. Uh, let me go turn on some YouTube videos. Cool. It's as many videos as you can run at the same time. <laughs> I have the laptop. Uh, I have the uh, the desktop. I have a tablet all running uh, like 4K streams at the same time. Tablet can't even process a 4K stream. It's just downloaded. It's just like playing the best quality image it can. But everything else, I think I had like a slow-mo guys 4K uh, playlist going on at the same time as like, like Russian Badger's latest videos, which are all like 1080p 60. So I am yeah. hammering my connection <laughs> as much as physically possible. I think I had like uh, Twitch streams open on the laptop or something like that. Um, so yeah, uh, I was watching James, or uh, watching Arik for like several hours, just seeing what the connection could do. <laughs> And uh, yeah, that was that was fun because um, I basically came back and like for some reason I left the speakers on, so I went away at the shops to celebrate uh, having an actual internet connection again, and then came back with uh, like a room full of just the noisiest, most random fucking shit going on. Uh, <laughs> so it's like paint exploding on one screen with a blue man group. There's uh, someone like blowing up tanks in, uh, in Battlefield Four, and then there's James running around the Sonic at max speed and all that. And I'm like. What the fuck am there's, I doing? There's, <laughs> there's paintball guns getting shot. There's a hyperactive Scotsman talking about Sonic. Yeah, it's, Your neighbours uh, must be fucking loving you. <laughs> I, uh, I actually think I've met any of my neighbours yet, now that you mention it. I think I met one on day one when I moved in and I was uh, there was like a bike storage area and I was like, I've yeah. got the bike, I'll just throw it in there. And that's the only time I've met anyone in this industrial estate. The lockdowns made them all like really reclusive, which I am fine with. But uh, yeah, yeah, that is the story. (laughs) The 20-minute saga of 
how I actually got a fucking internet connection in the last couple of weeks. So it's uh, it's been weird, and uh, it's given me a lot of time to stop and think about just how much of my life is revolved around the internet. It's not healthy. It is not good. <laughs> I uh, like it was the point where I'm like, what am I gonna do to fill up the time? I'm gonna watch all of Dragon Ball, and then that's done. Okay, what are you gonna do now? Uh read a book. <laughs> wait for the internet. Yeah, I'm gonna sit and wait. <laughs> but yeah, that was uh my tech horror story for the, the last week. Um so yeah, how was uh your experience with Virgin Media? <laughs> the people I've just left and the people who I now tragically miss. Uh because I'll give you one thing. I don't think I've ever had such bad service from any company I've ever paid. Like that that, that was my first month of experience with BT as a paying customer is just absolute fucking hilarious levels of ineptitude except for one Irish uh, Irish woman and one guy who actually knows what he's doing with a you know a, a screwdriver you know yeah uh, Virgin Media was kind of weird because we uh, oh I say we uh, me and my family we upgraded the internet by downgrading the TV as in oh. we just dropped everything that we didn't use on the TV uh, so that we could get a, afford a better internet connection because we weren't using half the shit that we were paying for. So uh, we get a new uh, router installed. We get uh, the quote-unquote fastest connection that is available commercially in mainland Britain right now. Nice. And the first day, it works okay. It doesn't work well. It works okay. So we, we get it installed. It's up and running for maybe two, three hours. Then it hits... Around about now, 7, uh, seven o'clock, between 7 o'clock and uh, 10 o'clock, and it just eats a bag of ranch-covered dicks. We were getting <laughs> crappy connections. It was taking me ages to watch, you know, two-minute YouTube videos that were set, that usually set at about 1080p, which my PC can handle. No problem, that's kind of on the lower end of what it can handle. But I was dropping that shit down to 240p. Damn. Then I thought, right, okay, uh... This is just, maybe it's teething problems, maybe it's this, or I don't know. I'm willing to just roll the dice and see what happens. Uh, a couple of days later, you know, the same, experiencing the same kind of internet connection. The internet cuts out completely for about uh, 45 minutes. So we phone up Virgin Media, get it sorted, you know, put boots to asses, put hooks in asses. And we get the internet sorted again. And this shit has been, you know, a constant threat since then. They keep saying they've got the connection sorted, the connection's stable now, or that, whatever it is. It hasn't really dropped out since then, but it still gets to about this time, and it just gets laggy as all hell for being a, what, 200 meg connection? Yeah. It's weird that it's the... It's just... It just drops. Like, there's no explanation, there's no warning. It's just, you can figure out a rough pattern of when it goes uh, sideways. But it yeah. just randomly just... Yeah. Says, it's not great. I mean, it doesn't help the fact that in this house there's usually at least four devices on potentially five if they're watching netflix or something downstairs but if yeah we'll go with five devices all streaming or using the internet once there'll be the pc which i'm using there'll be the xbox which my brothers are using my parents will be on a laptop each while having amazon prime or netflix or something on in the background so there's a lot of bandwidth going there but for the connection that we were sold apparently that should be enough yeah i mean the the one thing i always add on there as well is remember everyone's phone is kind of not actively, but is kind of in the background, taking up a little bit as well. Because uh, my parents have the same issue as well. They're paying for a really good connection. It should be able to handle everything they throw at it, 
but when you add in the fact that everyone's also got a phone on them at all times, it's constantly just kind of working away in the background, doing little updates and checking for messages and stuff, it does add up. And uh, that's one thing I tell them. They're like, oh, connection really sucks and I can't stream this. And I'm like, turn your phone off. <laughs> You've got like an extra device on every person in the house that just randomly sucks down uh, texts, phone calls and stuff like that. Uh, or like WhatsApp messages. It's Wi-Fi on, so maybe it's his fault. Yeah. Oh, I'd, uh, who was it? Oh, that was our one. I've, um, I've started trying to convince people to go with the, the wired connections through the wall. Um, like, you know how you can, there's devices that you convert, uh, Ethernet signal through power cables. Mm-hmm. I've started using those and they're very good. Highly instead recommend. Hmm? So you've been using the Ethernet connections instead of Wi-Fi? Yeah. Uh, well, my, my, uh, PC doesn't actually, it had a uh, wireless card in it, but I took it out to fit the Elgato in for streaming. And now I use that, like it's taking up the slot on the motherboard that I was using. So I have to have a wired connection in the actual PC itself. Yeah. Saves a little See, bit of effort, but yeah. Uh, if my router wasn't in a weird position. That is now being currently guarded by a Christmas tree, which I've been told that the amount of foil and shit on the Christmas tree isn't going to help the Wi-Fi connection whatsoever. <laughs> but that's what the router is. Yeah, it's, it's a weird one. But I mean, the, the problem with these is that if to get them to work properly, the the plug that it goes into has to be on the same circuit as the plug it comes out of. So there's a chance that it might not actually work, depending on if it's a two-story house. Yeah, yeah. Might have some issues, whereas, like, I'm in a single-story flat, so everything should be on the same loop. Yeah. With the exception of maybe the kitchen. I don't play many online games, so it's not really too big an issue. YouTube videos, I can always just pause it and wait for it to load. My main issue about the Wi-Fi connection was was the fact that I was uh, doing exams uh, a couple of weeks ago, or a week ago now. Oh shit! Yeah, I was terrified that I'd be midway through typing a an essay for one of my exams, and all of a sudden, internet just crashes, and I'm not able to upload it or some shit like that. But it behaved itself for that. <laughs> I didn't even think of that one. <laughs> that's, oh, yeah. that's gonna be a nightmare. As if you needed more stress on top of an exam. Yeah, but it's an open book exam, so uh, it was an open book exam, and the past papers that they gave us basically told us exactly what was going to be in the exam so i was about as prepared as i could have been and you've got Humble. spell checks so you know <laughs> that's true plus we had 24 hours for the exam so it was in that kind of situation of obviously there's always there's always that little bit of stress and anxiety for an exam you know what if i can't answer the questions that kind of shit but it was all kind of alleviated by a 24-hour time limit and all my books and notes surrounding me <laughs> i gonna sound like a bit of a dick but i think if you gave me an exam in a subject I've never studied, and 24 hours with all the textbooks to go through it. I'm pretty sure I could pass that exam without even studying for it. I, I, I doubt anybody would be unable to at least do something for it, or at least attempt it. Yeah, I, I could probably at least put my name on the page. <laughs> I could figure that one out. <laughs> I'd actually like to see that as a challenge. Like, if you've, ran, if you've never studied, say, like, quantum mechanics, or something like that, we give you a quantum physics exam. And we just sat you down, and but just said you got twenty four hours and textbooks, you figure it out, and then go for it. See see if you could actually pass an exam like that. That'd be a v- kind of interesting experiment. I'd like to see that done. Yeah, I think in that situation, I don't think it'd work. If someone goes, here's a, the study of, or here's an exam all about the human anatomy, it's set at you know SQA level ten. Here's textbooks and a notepad. Get on with it. 
<laughs> I'd give it a go. <laughs> I'd take a crack at that. <laughs> okay. Basically, a doctor, how did you pass it? Well, I'd had this dumb idea for a YouTube video, right? <laughs> I basically filmed myself for 24 hours doing an exam I'd never studied for, but I gave myself all the textbooks, so I'm basically a doctor now. <laughs> I need you to patent that idea so no one else can use it because you'll see those fucking old dickheads trying to do it now. <laughs> I'm technically a doctor. I passed the exam. Like, no, you didn't. You're a fucking idiot. <laughs> Have you been uh, keeping in touch with any of the fucking nonsense that's been going on with them? And like, they're doing boxing matches now. Yeah, uh, they consider themselves professional boxers, and uh, one of them's about to fight Floyd Mayweather, the was it middleweight champion. Uh, yeah, I think uh, middleweight, yeah, he's not heavyweight but yeah, uh, possibly one of the greatest boxers of all time uh, <laughs> is about to step into the ring with a fucking YouTuber and uh, I don't think anyone could be happier about that than just Philip DeFranco, who has just been looking forward to this day for months and I don't know when it's happening, I think it's 2021 uh, Yeah, so it's, it's meant to be a big, big budget fight and uh what bugs me the most about it is people know how good a, a boxer Floyd Mayweather is, and they still think that uh, Logan Paul is going to beat him in three rounds. It's three rounds? Uh, yeah. I suppose you really, I mean, they are training for these, and uh, I think the Pauls do have a bit of athletic background in wrestling. Uh, yeah. And in, in Ohio, that's that's the real shit when it comes to wrestling. But I, I think that, uh, yeah, you don't understand, like, the... I mean, Floyd Mayweather fought Conor McGregor, aka another martial artist. Um, but Conor's thing was mixed MMA, and that was seen as very one-sided uh, because Conor, from a technical aspect, can yeah throw a punch, but boxing is a different, like kind of strategy game. Like it's a different field of thought in a way. So I don't see how well it's going to go. Yeah. Whereas when you've got wrestling, it's all about. Not giving your opponent uh, an option to think. It's all about rush down. It's all about shut down your opponent, pin him as quick as you can. Uh, boxing, especially the way Floyd Mayweather boxes, he has a very, uh, what they call in the Street Fighter 2 community, he has a turtle style, like uh, Guile from Street Fighter 2. He will just turtle. He will just guard everything that you that you can throw at him. He will keep his distance. And the minute you're opening up, jab in the chin. That is Floyd Mayweather's style. And it's served him quite well, so... Floyd Mayweather can try and rush him down. Or sorry, Logan Paul can try and rush him down all he wants. Floyd Mayweather's going to lay him out. Like, <laughs> it's horrific. It's going to be one of the shortest fights you've ever seen. Is there not something like 50, uh, at least 50 fights that he's won like with no losses? Like, yeah, mm. Who the fuck does Logan Paul think he's going to be able to break that record? <laughs> I, I think it's one of those situations where it doesn't matter if you, like, stepping into the ring is a win. The amount of money that's going to be thrown his way is just to yeah, get in there. At least five million or something like that. But yeah, I mean, like you'd you'd want a decent paycheck if you're going to go fight a tiger, you know, because uh, you're going to get fucked up by the tiger. You're going to need some medical expenses paid for. Yeah, if you're going to go and wrestle a fucking bear, you know, get your money. <laughs> How, what would you do to get that paycheck? Well, <laughs> there was this bear, right? And I see the bear, and I'm like, I can take the bear. <laughs> Hey, gotta get that PS5. <laughs> gotta get it somehow. Actually, have you seen the, the like the ridiculous situation with the PS5s where they're just not available anymore? Because there's, uh, there's two things I want to talk about in gaming generally right now. 
and that is the scalping of uh, PlayStation 5s and Xbox Ones and uh, NVIDIA graphics cards because yeah. so much I've, of the I've shopping's seen. been done online. It's been just botted and hacked to pieces. And the other one was Cyberpunk. Uh, I actually, I've been keeping abreast of this because I want uh, an Xbox Series X and uh, the, genuinely the cheapest deal that I've seen for uh, an Xbox Series X is from CEX the second hand shop for £650 but then you go on eBay and you look for uh, Xbox Series X's and it's upwards of 700 to 800 and in some cases £1,200 for an Xbox right now 1200 Yeah Holy fuck That'll be the people that bought you know 40 of the fucking things and they're just trying to recoup their losses Yeah I was watching somebody's uh, YouTube video this uh, like just before we came on and he had screenshots of PS5s on eBay going for just about 1.5 grand US. Just probably yeah. about the same amount. Yeah, it's ridiculous. The amount of people that bought this console knowing that people were looking forward to next gen, there was going to be a few games that people were going to play on Xbox and PS5, and just thought, you know what, I'm going to buy them all, so they all have to pay me you know, $2,000 for one fucking console. It's ridiculous. I mean, we did put out that kind of... Uh, the vague hope into the universe that people would just kind of step aside, let kids and uh, parents and stuff get their hands on it for Christmas, and then maybe we'd get some on the back end, you know, we'd, we'd maybe see if we can get something sorted out that way, just really hope the gaming community would come together at a time like this, uh, during all the quarantine stuff and all the, the like, slowed down production that's got to go on while uh, the world recovers from COVID, but um, I just seeing the prices that it's going for is sickening like it's really annoying to see that somebody went in and pre-programmed bots to just buy up 40 50 ps4s and then just sell them back at like triple price yeah i think that might have been our fault though for assuming that uh people would have been altruistic about this and let people you know get their children an xbox for christmas there's always yeah. going to be people <laughs> that you see you know money yeah, it was our fault for having hope. I don't know. Live and learn. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll live and learn. It won't happen again, folks. We promise. I, <laughs> we, we, we shouldn't have hope. We're, we're, we're Scottish. Why do we have hope? That's not okay. <laughs> it goes against the core tenets of Scottishness. And the core tenets of being Scottish is just tenets lager. That's it. <laughs> oh. Uh, oh, Cyberpunk as well. Do you have any idea what's going on with that? Because I am out of it. I wasn't really that interested when it was like first debuted, and uh, all I see now is just a raging shit show. It. I bought it originally. I pre-ordered it, but then I cancelled my pre-order because uh, I seen the word delay and a and a Twitter message, and I thought, well, it's not going to be out until next year. I'll just pick it up next year. So I cancelled my pre-order. Then I seen that it was out of stock. So I thought, oh fuck, I'm never going to be able to get that again. Then, then I found out it was coming out uh, in mid or tail end of November, start of December. I thought, oh fuck, I'll go and get it again. So I managed to pick up a copy. Then I went looking for, uh, you know, just any tips on starting the game. And then it was basically tips for starting the game: play it on a PS5 or play it on an Xbox Series X. Do not play this on original hardware; it will blow up. <laughs> I'm playing this on an original Xbox One, so. I haven't played the game yet, but uh, my experience will probably be broadened next year when I actually get to play the game on a new console. But uh, the, there's been many, many uh, problems with the game. A lot of glitches, a lot of uh, unfinished, unpolished areas. 
uh, a lot of the game being quite hard to play, a lot of the game being quite, uh, what's the word, stuttery. Okay, like bad frame it's, rates and stuff like that? Yeah, low frame rates, uh, T-posing all over the place, <laughs> guns not working the way that they should, sound effects going buggy, cars being difficult to drive. But uh, the the main contention for that seems to be, or the main point of contention for that seems to be, this game was delayed so many times, why were we then giving a literal fox turn? Yeah, because that was what I uh, <laughs> I didn't actually create the, like what version we were getting because I say this has been delayed by I think I want to say like four or five months, maybe. Yeah, it was originally scheduled for summer or something. Like that. Yeah, they just canceling and canceling or not delaying and delaying, delaying. Sorry. Yeah, and my my question was okay. This is what got released with patches and updates based on the crunch that was done after release date. What were we originally going to get? Uh, and also, the my question was, is it going... Have they made a next-gen version and then tried to scale it down on the console, which would explain the buggy issues? But it turns out, no. Um, from what I've seen, it was that they've made a version for PS4 and Xbox One, and then they are going to update it. Basically, not quite ground up, but retexture it. Um, for the PS5 and Xbox One X, so that there was like basically to be like a master rework, not long after those consoles launch, or once they get out there in the public, or when they want to re-release Cyberpunk within like a year of the original release. Hmm. And that was how they were going to handle, like for yourself, you've bought one for the Xbox One, and uh, you'll yeah. be getting an upgrade. Although I, I bought my copy, and it doesn't actually say you know Xbox One or anything on it; it just says Xbox. And it says in the corner, this will play on your Series X. So, I mean, at least I have a free copy to play on the Series X when I get one. Huh, interesting. But yeah, I, I was worried that they maybe like, released a, a very high fancy, like high level one, and then tried to mm-hmm. downscale it onto the lesser consoles. And all of a sudden it shit the bed. And I'm like, okay, that would explain what's happened. But now it's like, okay, what did you people actually do? <laughs> I want to know what you people did. And I want to I wanna report on my desk by Monday. Because it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. No, it's it's a, a monumental shit show, and a, there's a lot of different stories. There's one. There's a few people saying that um, this is CD Projekt Red rushing things for Christmas. A lot of people saying that this is a Bandai Namco and other sponsors trying to uh, push it out in time for the holiday season. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I'm personally just waiting to hear a bit more on it and. I'm not waiting to hear more about the the dramas and shit like that. I just want to know when it's going to be playable. Yeah, because I did see people. It's a game I'm interested in. I did see people talking about like an i7 processor, which is fairly high grade, and then like a really decent like 20 series graphics card and getting like 17 frames per second out of it. And I'm like, oh my god, (laughs) that is barely animation. If you (laughs) there's uh, what's the other one? Because there was that, and then there was the report of, like, people just, vehicles not working at all. I've seen a couple of compilation videos of just vehicles just flipping randomly, um, with some explanation. I, I haven't seen that. I have seen uh, people trying to drive in a straight line, and the controls being so finicky and a bit unstable that the car just kind of goes at angles constantly down the road. Huh. <laughs> like that scene from uh, Austin Powers when he tries to reverse in the tunnel. On the little like, buggy thing, and he just keeps banging into everything. Oh yeah, when imagine you trying to drive down a highway. <laughs> oh, it's 
like game development is incredibly hard and it's a medium i have no proficiency in and i i can't imagine myself ever saying you know what it's time for me to make a video game but at the same time i am worried about developers and like their culture in a way like i think there's a big push to put something out every couple years stuff like uh call duty and assassin's creed really kind of led the charge on that and I get the feeling that we're getting too used to, uh, like, the customers, the consumers, just accepting a broken product on day one oh, and yeah. then saying, especially with patches, just saying, oh, we can patch it on day one. I mean, that actually yeah. helps. It makes sense because you can't fit the perfect version on the disc. That's okay. We can live with that. Yeah, that makes sense. But I'm also just worried it's just people are making bad things and releasing it and just saying, oh, well, I guess it happened. We'll fix it, like, two or three years down the line. And I, I wonder, I mean, this thing is that the games have big development cycles. I mean, this was, what, eight, seven or eight years in the making? Yeah, something like that. I, I think they went into production on Cyberpunk not long after Witcher 3 Game of the Year edition came out, and that was about maybe six, seven years ago. And that's followed on by, like, Anthem, which, admittedly, that's a bit different because it's uh, got, like, a air quotes, 10-year development cycle, eight years of which is them, like, doing the first draft again and again and again, and then yeah. two years of just, oh, shit, panic and code at the same time, um, leading to yeah. one of the biggest disasters in game development of all time. And I yeah. I just... Here's one thing that somebody brought up, uh, and it was just on a random YouTube stream. Why do we still pre-order games? when you have no guarantee that what you're getting is actually a working game. Not 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 this like a great game. Um because like you would previously pre-order a game based on a studio's track record. So or if it was like part of a franchise you were addressed and like yeah, Dark Souls might be the last game that I pre-ordered was Dark Souls 3. Because I loved the previous Dark Souls games and I know the studio is going to make a decent game. I'm willing to take the risk. There's no guarantee that you have a working game on day one anymore. From yeah. a triple I mean, studio. Yeah. The AAA game market's kinda just grinding along by its face right now but uh for me i only really pre-order recently i've only pre-ordered um switch games and they usually come fairly fairly high quality there's never been many game breaking bugs on a switch game uh most of the other games that i go to pre-order have never been for playstation 4 or xbox i usually buy those type of games maybe two three weeks afterward because i usually know that they're not obviously they're held to a certain standard but they're not usually as high a standard as, say, your Nintendo games. Yeah, I was about to say, I don't think Nintendo would allow a shitty release. I don't think they'd allow yeah. a cyberpunk to happen to them. Um, I think they want a more finished, polished product out the gate because they just it's just a standard they've set for themselves that we can't have a buggy release. Whereas I think Microsoft and Sony are just like, I mean, it happens from time to time, so fuck it, in a way. I mean, yeah, that's why... Uh... That's why Nintendo games take so long to come out because it's just they they'll make the game, and then there's obviously translations and shit like that, as everybody who plays a video game knows. But then it comes to quality assurance; they go through so many layers of testing, so many layers of testing to make sure that when it, the game arrives, it's in a playable state. True, and I, I don't not to disparage the studios that are making games right now too much because there's no way that they're just like I guess it works and just firing it out there. They, they must yeah. be doing some Unless quality control. There must be something in there, some quality testing, either in-house alphas or like in-house betas or stuff like that that they do, or like giving it out to like game testers. But at the same time, like it's clearly not working if we're having issues that are like this fundamental to different games. I mean, 
the only company that doesn't do quality quality assurance testing is uh, Bethesda. I think we can all agree that Fallout 76 would not have happened if someone had just went through the game and went, nah, man, this doesn't work. <laughs> I, uh, I I went back down a rabbit hole. Uh, a guy called uh, H-Bomber Guy, I think you probably heard of him, the YouTuber, um, made a video on just praising Fallout New Vegas. And it was like a 90-minute, like, basically, hand job for the game. And I went back to look at uh, another creator's uh, video about Fallout 76. I forgot how funny that game was. It was just so, fundamentally, from the ground up, fucked. <laughs> it was, like, broken in a way that Bethesda makes buggy games, that's always the joke. But I, I don't think I remember it being that bad when it came out. And you look at the, like, the... Uh, a video that came out months after the game launched, just detailing some of the issues that came out. And at one point, he, he stops and says, I'm, I'm going to start listing the details. You can find a more comprehensive video on this guy's channel. I've linked it in the description below. But be warned, the video was three and a half hours long. Like, Holy fuck. <laughs> and that's, three and a half hours. That's the fault that one guy found. Doesn't include, like, obviously, because once these things go out, you're running your game against thousands of systems all of them logging the details and the issues separately. So the actual list of things that were broken on Fallout 76 must have been impressive. Like, if you actually, like, printed it all in an Excel sheet and just removed duplicates, I think you'd end up with an absolute fucking monster list of things that went horribly wrong. And I think the one game I've seen that pulled it back was uh, No Man's Sky. Apparently that's yeah, pretty Yeah, they seem to be in a little bit of a zenith right now. They've kind of got the shot in the arm that they need. Yeah, and I I need to go back and look into that. The other thing I want to look into as well is why does Nintendo not suffer the way that Sony makes up to? Like, obviously, they, they're a bit more closed off, so you won't be able to find out as much information about them as other studios, but how are they so immune to all this? I don't know. I think it's because... Uh, I think it's, it comes from a bit from, you know, experience. They just... They, they know this is how they make games. But I think it's just also they, they let the game go through so many different forms of quality assurance. I think they just do the legwork on it. Mm-hmm. And like I said, uh, taking an example, Fire Emblem on 3DS, that game took about five years to come out. Fire Emblem Awakening hit, that took about three or four years to come out. For a 3DS game, that's you know quite a long time, considering most 3DS games at the time were made within a matter of months. And then chucked out because the game, you can't physically fit that much on the cartridge. So yeah. they just, you know, churned it through quickly. But the game, because of localization and because of, you know, Nintendo's high standards, just took so fucking long to come out. So I think they're willing to just delay the game or put the release date so far ahead of production. They just that the they have enough time now. to just chop and change and fix things as needed. Because there's a long history, especially in Nintendo games, of cut content. So Nintendo, if it's a property that they're uh, promoting, have no shame about just going, nah, that doesn't work. It's a bit buggy. Cut that out. Get it out of there. Yeah. If it works, we can put it in as DLC for, you know, two, three quid or something like that. But yeah, yeah they have no shame, no qualms about just cutting shit out. And I think it goes back to the idea that Nintendo just have a quality standard. I mean, yeah. it was like a year ago, uh, one of the like lead executives for Nintendo came out and said, Metroid isn't up to standard. It's going back to square one. We're redeveloping yeah. the game. You know, 
oh shit. <laughs> I think yeah. it actually might have been about the same time as Fallout 76 came out. Because you had Fallout yeah. 76 coming out and everybody going, Nintendo, what are you going to do? And they're like, we're just going to scrap the game and start from uh, the ground up. We can make it work. Yeah. Just take some time. You know? I, don't think, I don't think there was any single person that just went, no, that's bullshit, man. Yeah. That's absolute bullshit. Give us our Metroid now. Like, Let's have a finished game without <laughs> any bugs before we get that shit. Yeah, I'd, I'd appreciate a working game, please. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd be nice. Uh, I actually, the only game I've really played recently, I went back to uh, Destiny 2. Keep going back to that. Yeah, I've seen the, uh, the tweets. It's, they, they, they made an interesting new set of content where the idea is your guardian has always been a champion of the light and is now going to have to do a bit of work with darkness, like it as a kind of primeval, uh, primeval force. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, interesting. Uh, but the, the problem is, so much of Destiny's content is a reskin of previous Destiny content. And it's it stems from it being kind of like an MMO. They don't want to make too many new assets, um, yeah. because there's so much like testing has to go involved to balance stuff. Like actually making the new assets and stuff, and making new characters and systems, is a lot of effort because it has to remain an online consistent world. So there's not a lot of stuff that gets, comes out that's brand new. Well, they have introduced some new stuff, which is uh, pretty good. At least a lot of like giant walkers and stuff, and uh, they push your shit in pretty hard. I'll give them that. <laughs> and uh, honestly, there's there's some of them that drop down. I had like three of them drop on me at the same time. Like, I am going to fucking die here. <laughs> I am going to die. It's going to be painful, and I'm going to be stomped into the fucking snow. Um, but the yeah, the, the class that they've put out the behemoth is not as fun as I'd hoped. Um, especially when I I look at it and say it's the same as a striker, which is the uh, electrical class from the original Destiny series, and uh, it that's a class that basically is the same kind of style like your attacks are very uh, punch based so you're basically running around kind of like Thor and just punching the shit out of people uh, while mm. being covered in electricity it's a lot of fun and this is kind of the same move set but you're covered in ice and really slow but you also don't tank damage as well so I don't get the point in a weird way yeah so yeah it's, it's a bit like a shitty version of the last one yeah I just I, th- I think it's an idea that they haven't fleshed I, I think it's got room for potential but it's going to take a while to get there. And uh, yeah, so, as they like, with the reskins, they're like, oh, this foe's unlike any you've ever faced before. I'm like, she looks a lot like the last four foes I faced. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so I chased around with a shotgun and then murdered her. It was great. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll be looking to do a bit more Destiny 2 stuff. I'll maybe do some streaming for it because it's, it's good to have it back. It's quite ambient. Like you can just have it on for the afternoon and not think too much and then realise that you wasted six hours of your life. Or you can spend like an hour and a half every night, just commit to it. So yeah. I had the I had the same thing with the Jedi Fallen Order on a I found out it was on Game Pass because EA play is now a part of, now comes twinned with the Game Pass. So Nice. You're getting all the uh, all the Star Wars Battlefront and all the other EA games free with your uh, your Game Pass subscription. So uh, I've always wanted to play you know, a good single-player Star Wars game because obviously we had the Battlefront games back in the PlayStation One era. The three six, not three sixty, the Xbox One and PS Four versions just don't even come close to how good those games were. And obviously, there's plenty of good RPGs and things like that, but for a proper single-player story, you know, that actually shows lightsaber combat and a fairly good light, we've kind of been starved for it. So yeah, Jedi Fallen Order kind of just came in 
and for all of its flaws, which gameplay-wise, there are many. Yeah. Uh, the main character, Cal Kestis, does just kind of forget things. Because like, obviously he's a Jedi, he's got force abilities. One of his force abilities is he can pull things towards him. And when you're jumping over ravines, you can uh, pull vines and uh, rope and stuff towards you so you can continue your job. Uh, Cal every so often will just forget that he can do this and just kind of drop the hand. <laughs> so you're fall- jumping over this massive chasm. Trying to grab onto a vine so he can swing across to the other other side of the level, and Cal will just drop his right hand as if to say, "Oh right, was I going for that? Oh wait, there we go, I'm dead." <laughs> like, Cheers, mate. Now we need to go all the way back up. Yeah, if but, you're uh, if you're doing a, like a, a proper like fighting game and you have platforming, you need to have that platforming down. Yeah, but uh, where where Jedi Fallen Order kind of picks up on that is the fact that it has a really good story. Uh, the lightsaber combat is fucking tight-ish, <laughs> uh, and the game is actually quite—it's actually quite difficult. It's quite a Dark Souls-esque type of challenge, in my opinion. In my limited, only played Dark Souls one, a bit of Bloodborne knowledge of Dark Souls. It's quite—it's quite difficult, and I kind of like that about it because uh, it actually forced you to not just run in and you know, unga bunga your way through a fight. You actually forced you to strategize a little bit if you can use your force powers, if you can. You know, pick up a boulder and throw it at them and that kind of shit. Yeah. First you get a little bit creative, which is... It's always a good thing when, like, a game actually says, okay, we just laid you out a problem. You have a couple of tools to solve it. You go figure it out. Yeah. So, I mean, you have a, a dual-bladed lightsaber, so you want to figure out if you want to, you know, hit them fast with the dual-bladed lightsaber or you want to revert to the single blade and just, you know, do uh, harder, slower strikes. Or do you want to, you know use the force to push them away or shit like that and i will i will give it that it does get the it does nail what i can only imagine the glee in the person who's using the force to just push people off the edge of a level so you don't have to fight them <laughs> uh, there's these uh there's these enemies called purge troopers which are specifically trained stormtroopers that are dealt to kill with or they're made to kill jedi they're trained specifically with the purpose of killing jedi uh, and as soon as you get force push you just you always fight them on a bridge or on an area where you can just throw them off places. So I think I fought a few of them when you're meant to, but as you get later on into the game, you start developing your force abilities or you start uh, healing Cal's connection to the force because I'll talk about the story in a bit. Uh, through the story, you find out why Cal can hit his force abilities. As soon as you start healing your connection with the force, Cal can just force push legions of guys off, off bridges. So whenever the purge troopers came close to me, I just force pushed them two or three times and caught them <laughs> off the bridge. Like, if I don't need to fight them, I'm not going to fight them. <laughs> it's weird that their training, their specialist training, didn't include, don't stand near a ledge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, they have this thing called the Force. Ah, fuck the Force. Force is fun. Yeah, Fair and I have a gun. It produces a lot of Force. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole, uh, the whole the whole story is, uh, uh, you play as a, a former uh, Padawan, a guy named uh, Cal Kestis, who's... Uh, a, a traitor being trained to be a Jedi during run about the time of the Clone Wars. Then Order sixty six happened. His master falls trying to save or get him and Cal off of uh, the ship they're being stationed on. You know, and then getting away from the clones that are now hell bent on killing all the Jedi. Uh, Cal's master falls. Cal takes his lightsaber and just basically tries to live undetected by the Empire for several years. And the only thing that brings the Empire to him is he accidentally uses his uh, force powers to save someone that falls off uh, a ledge during one of his jobs because he works as a scrapper. And he just kind of, you know, all decommissioned and wrecked ships. He strip mines them for parts and stuff like that to give them back to the Empire. So uh, he gets called to meet with someone, but 
the person that's walking with him saying, I don't know why we're being called, he falls off a ledge. Cal uses his force abilities and then that brings the Inquisitors to him. And then most of the game is spent, you know, trying to avoid detection by the Inquisitors, but also you're trying to rebuild the Jedi Order and uh, find something called a Jedi Holocron, which has a list or has the coordinates to every Force-sensitive child in the galaxy. So, obviously, Cal wants to take that and rebuild the Jedi. The uh, the Empire want to find that and, you know, track down all the Force-sensitive children, either make them into Sith or just outright kill them. So, the story kind of barrels on from there. And it, it does that usual Star Wars thing of, there's enough uh, recognisable shit about it that's going to get you invested. Obviously, there's lightsabers, there's a cute little droid that hops about like it's an animal. Uh, there's Wookiees. You, you go to the Wookiee planet. Nice. Uh, you go to Kashyyyk, it's called, and uh, Forrest Whitaker. Uh, he he uh, reprises his role as uh, Saw Gerrera, the uh, the rebel extremist, I'd say, because he gets kicked out. You see him in Rogue One, and he gets kicked out of the rebellion for being a bit too extreme. You know, his tactics were a bit too extreme. He shows up there, and you help him free the Wookiees and shit like that. And, uh, of course, it's a Star Wars thing, so Darth Vader appears unnecessarily I'll, I'll say but he appears it's not too bad I'll say but at the same time he didn't need to be in it I mean I'll, I'll take a Darth Vader fight as long as it's done right I'll fucking fight Darth Vader in any video game yeah it just it felt tacked on at the end it's like oh it's this era of Star Wars because it's set after Order 66 hmm. which killed all the Jedi which I think it's about maybe 10 years after that so it's kind of the height of the Empire type shit so of course they have to have Darth Vader in there somewhere yeah, it's a good storyline as well because you got to think that with the sheer scale, of, I mean, the the empire is galaxy wide. There would be a couple of kids oh, yeah. or a couple of people who sneak out away from Order sixty six. But the the more stories, the more sub stories and supplementary stories that come out from the Star Wars universe, and there's more people that survived Order sixty six that were in the Jedi Order at the time. You realize that the clones were just fucking stupid. How <laughs> like, many people survived this shit? The clones never did their job at all. Hey, look, they were just happy to finally hit something. <laughs> they, they take yeah. their victories where they can get it. I actually, yeah. uh, I, I noticed as well, like just talking about Star Wars in general, we're talking about like a Vader scene that's tacked on. Um, Star Wars is going to be a big thing for the next like decade or so, even though the movie's kind of wrapped up. Um, yeah. It's a bit of a segue or a bit of a turn away from something. But is it, how many Star Wars things was there like announced? It was like 10 new franchises or new parts yeah, of the franchise announced? Including uh, the Hayden Christensen coming back as Vader. Yeah, there was the. the I've got my my thoughts on that, but uh, there was the the Disney Investor Day, which they announced uh, every project that they're going to be doing for the next ten years, and there was so many fucking uh, Star Wars shows that were announced. You know, I understand giving, you know, Rogue Squadron, you know, one of the most famous. Uh, you know, flight units in the, the Rebellion. I understand giving them their own show. I understand giving uh, the special strike team, the Bad Batch from the clones, I understand giving them their own show. But there's a character in uh, Star Wars Rogue One called Cassie and Andor who wasn't that interesting a character to me. He's getting his own show. Which one's and Cassie and Andor? No, you can't even remember. He no. was the Spanish dude in uh, Rogue One. Uh, uh, nope, still not remembering. <laughs> yeah, but he, he gets his own TV show. I remember him. Yeah, the, the one thing I remember him from Rogue One is the fact that he was quite a ruthless motherfucker. Like he was talking about the shit that he had to do for the rebellion. That like, he's killed and assassinated his way to being one of the top men in the rebellion. 
and that guy's getting his own show. I'm pretty sure there's a, a TV show about uh, the droids of Star Wars, and it's going to be centered on droids. Uh, and it kind of made me think, like, do these? I understand the Obi Wan Kenobi show. Yeah, I understand that because people have been wanting to know what happened to Obi Wan Kenobi on Tatooine for years. Uh, and the new character, uh, they announced a show called Ahsoka, which follows uh, Ahsoka Tano, who in the Clone Wars TV show is uh, the apprentice to Anakin Skywalker. And then they brought her back in Mandalorian, played by Rosario Dawson, and the fans responded fucking well to that, including me, because I thought it was pretty cool. A, it's Rosario Dawson, I'd, I'd watch her read the phone book, and B, it was, a, it was cool to see a female Jedi that didn't get stabbed in the chest. Actually, you know, out there kicking ass and, you know, mm. taking on legions of, you know, armed dudes. So I'd, I'd be watching that uh, fairly closely. And obviously the Boba Fett show. Yeah. Uh, the book of Boba Fett that got announced uh, a couple of weeks back. The bo- I said a couple of weeks back. The book a of week Boba back. Fett. Yeah, the book of Boba Fett is basically Boba Fett. Uh, he's been he's freed himself from the Sarlacc pit and he's basically trying to put his name back out there. Right. Oh, that's what I think the story would be. It's basically him trying to re-establish himself as the top bounty hunter in the galaxy. I just thinking about this. I would do the Book of Boba Fett as, like, literally his son finds the journal of what his dad did, and it becomes basically, like, The Witcher, where it's just, like, random stories from his life, like, each episode's a new, like, monster of the week or whatever, or new bounty yeah. of the week. That's how I'd run that one. Hopefully. That's I mean, what no, the Boba Fett didn't really have any kids, though. I'm thinking, I keep forgetting that Django Fett is the father of Boba Fett. That Boba yeah. Fett is the kid. He's the youngest one. But yeah, I just yeah. Uh, Django Fett. There's not much he can do. He got his head cut off. So uh, <laughs> Samuel yeah. Jackson cut his head off. Ah uh, yeah, I, I yeah, keep remembering uh, that. I keep forgetting about the prequels uh, in general. But yeah, Hayden Christensen coming back as Darth Vader. I joked yeah, that and and, uh, and uh, the Obi Wan Kenobi. Uh, series that's coming out. Uh, Hayden Christensen is reprising his role as Darth Vader. I personally couldn't care less. Uh, there's been so many people that have played either the voice of Darth Vader or paid, played Darth Vader in the suit. I don't care. As long as the show's good and as long as it's more Ewan McGregor, Obi-Wan Kenobi focused as opposed to Darth Vader, I'll be fine with that. Even at that, Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi was probably one of the better parts of the prequel, so I'll be down for that. Yeah, I think you need to like just have him as like a menacing force in the background. That you don't actually give him yeah. too much screen time because then at that point people are going to pick it apart and just have him there as a threat yeah. that chases uh, Obi Wan. Yeah, and there's also a threat to the continuity if Darth Vader and Obi Wan Kenobi fight before they meet on the Death Star in Episode Four. They need you can uh, have them working in separate circles but very much distant from one another. Yeah, I, I joke that I'd love to see uh, Hayden Christensen come back as like uh, uh like just the greatest actor of all time. Like, legitimately, uh, like Ian McKellen, Patrick Look Stewart. Yeah, like he comes back with just like gr- from the ground up training. I just like the greatest actor of all time, and it just blows everyone away. <laughs> just, just redeems himself entirely from those earlier movies, and just says, "Look, I was a young actor. I was given very little to work with, and I had to spend most of my days staring at a blue fucking screen. Uh, I didn't do well. Now, behold, my acting talent, and just blows everyone away. I'd love that to happen. Just as a little redemption arc to like his whole involvement in Star Wars." Yeah, uh, it would have been cool. Do you know about the the kid that played uh, young Anakin? Do you yeah, know what happened to him. He like stole a car and like was drunk driving at the age of like, eighteen <laughs> across state yeah. lines and got arrested for it. And it's like, oh my god, that kid, that poor poor yeah. kid. Something Lloyd 
I think his name was yeah he uh, he he's, he's in a bad way. <laughs> and I remember they asked him about it. They said, hey, uh, how have you? They asked him not too long after Phantom Menace finished. I think he was about. I think he did the role at about thirteen or fourteen or something like that. They interviewed him two or three years later, and they asked him, uh, "So how how what's life been like after the Phantom Menace?" And he went, "It's been a bit of a struggle. <laughs> I haven't worked much." Yeah. I mean, as well, like, just the level of mega fame you must have achieved overnight just by being in a Star Wars movie must be insane. Yeah. And you throw a kid at that and just say, okay, handle it. Good luck, kid. I mean, you're not walking away from that one sane in any way. Yeah. And especially being kind of the scrappy-do of Star Wars. Because <laughs> at that point, young Anakin Skywalker, no one wanted that. <laughs> and right. it was kind of annoying. If Anakin is scrappy-do... What the fuck is Jar Jar Binks? <laughs> Jar Jar Binks is the old man that uh, <laughs> that they always just find at the bottom of the mask. It's like, old man Jebediah, why did you try and kill us again? He's like, because I'm not important anymore. Misa would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you pesky kids. <laughs> I, was, I was hoping you wouldn't do that, but I was waiting on it. We all knew it had to be done. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Oh, it was so bad. <laughs> His entire... Like, that, like if we're talking about like a ruined career, that guy. That guy deserves... Yeah. Just, like, the, the Nobel Peace Prize for not just going in and shooting up Lucasfilm. <laughs> yeah. You fucking I mean, best part is a really good actor as well. They just gave him... You know, they made him Jar Jar Binks, one of the most hated characters in Star Wars. He was meant to have a proper, serious, story-integral plot but because of how he was perceived at the end of episode one, George Lucas completely just wrote it out. And obviously the speculation is if, as to what it would be, you know, is, uh, was Jar Jar Binks going to be the big Sith Lord or some crap like that? But they just, obviously they wrote it out because no one fucking liked him. <laughs> I would have loved to see that. Them try to twist that plotline from like end of episode one Jar Jar Binks to him being like the maniacal overlord that controls everything. Yeah. I would love to I mean, see them try and pull that they did it with Yoda because Yoda was this little green tennis ball, and all of a sudden he was the Grandmaster of the Jedi. So that's true. Yeah, could have done it. I mean, you know, stranger things have happened. Yeah, I'm gonna throw Argic under the bus here. That motherfucker likes uh, Jar Jar Binks. I mean, if you, if you listen to this podcast and you know who Argic is, <laughs> uh, send him a send him a Twitter message. Just go. Why do you like Jar Jar Binks? Don't insult him. Don't make fun of him. Just ask him why. <laughs> because I think if enough people ask him, we might finally get an answer that's at least slightly satisfying. I'm trying to think of a way to justify it, and I, I guess it's the, the kind of chaotic energy he's got, and just the kind of slapstick he's got going on. But still, yeah, I could see why you would find he's funny. But after about two minutes, in the first movie, because the first movie is a tough watch, right? Uh, Despite what they've done to Darth Maul in the TV shows like Star Wars Rebels and uh, Star Wars The Clone Wars, the animated series, Darth Maul's not that cool a character. Qui-Gon Jinn could have been cool. I mean, you had Liam Neeson there, but you didn't do fucking anything with him. He died. Uh, yeah. Well, it's just a watch. Best of times. Then Jar Jar Binks is there and you just want to headbutt a wall. Everyone I've seen who tries to put some kind of defence up for the first film, it comes down to... But the scene with Darth Maul at the end, though, and you're like, yeah, yeah, i got to give you that. You get points for that, but it doesn't save the yeah. entire film. Yeah, the Jewel of Fates sound, it sound, it song, is pretty good, I'll give you that. But on on the complete application, the Phantom Menace 
to quote uh, Simon Pegg in the TV show Space, it's just a massive fucking toy advert. <laughs> between the droids and the different uh, the different lightsabers that you see and the, the vehicles and the different uh, cruisers and ships that you see it was just a massive toy advert that's not to say that the originals weren't toy adverts because they, the movies came out uh, well before the toys were even made so uh, in a way the original all Star Wars was really just a toy advert but there was something different about Phantom Menace it just seemed like more of a toy advert I, I don't know. I mean, it it did. It was very badly received when it first came out, and I wonder if we're looking at this with that kind of jaded, cynical view of knowing how it all turned out and what the kind of end goal was with Star Wars, and it was uh, mass kind of market like media, like everyone just wanted to get uh, the toy rights to it. I mean, the guy who played uh, Obi Wan, the first one, kept the rights just as a kind of gamble. Like he looked at it and said, "This isn't like it's not worth a paycheck." But if I take like yeah. merchandising percentage, I'm walking away a champion here, and he basically never had to work again. Yeah, Alec Guinness kind of sat comfy on that. Oh yeah, um, but yeah, it yeah. was it was actually well, was not like a recent couple deaths with the Star Wars cast. I'm pretty sure like the original uh, Boba Fett and the original like yeah, the body Jeremy of Vader. Uh, yeah, the body. Yeah, Jeremy Bullock well. and uh, David Prowse passed away. Yeah, it's a shame. Uh, my, the first convention that I ever went to, David Prowse was there, and that guy is fucking huge. Like, that guy, I mean, I've never been tall. I, I, I would never consider myself tall. I think I top out at an even five foot seven and a half, but uh, almost even five foot seven and a half. But <laughs> like seeing David Prowse, like this guy was Darth Vader, this fucking monster, giant of a man. Like he was, he was absolutely fucking huge. Yeah, he passed away. I want to say due to COVID complications. Mm. You hate to hear it. But, uh, yeah, it was quite a, it was quite a, quite a weird thing to see that someone who was so prolific in your childhood has, pa- has passed away. Yeah, I... same with Boba Fett. Like the Jeremy Bullock, that was that was quite difficult to see for a lot of people. Again, just looking at uh, Twitter and things like that, they just the kind of outpouring, outcropping a uh, support for the the family and the sadness over the death was quite a, was quite a quite a sight to behold and what makes it slightly what makes it better is that uh, in Mandalorian they show Boba Fett actually kicking ass and taking names so I, in my the back of my head I was just thinking like this is them legitimising Boba Fett yeah. you know to honour this guy's passing actually speaking of uh, like honouring someone's passing we got into as a weird kind of tangent connected to Mandalorian people were like talking about the, the finale for that show and uh, one of the people that was on there was uh, Kevin Smith. And he was uh, posting the usual kind of crying self. If it means so much to me. And I'm like, okay, cool. I've not seen the show, so I have no idea what you're crying about. Um, but he, I just happened to stumble across a video of his about Stan Lee. And obviously there's, yeah. uh, in Mallrats, which is I think, the only Kevin Smith film I've seen, Stan Lee, he's a cameo. Mm-hmm. And they did, yeah. uh, they tied it into his appearance in Captain Marvel. I didn't know this. Yeah, Stan Lee is reading the script for Morat. Yeah, because like, that's what he would have actually been doing around that time. You're like, interesting. Nice little touch. I didn't, yeah, I didn't notice it the first time. I think I might have seen Morat's by Kevin Smith, but I never actually put all that together. But uh, yeah, yeah, apparently, because he, he did the, the, the takes, or he did his appearance for the, the cameo, and then they just they didn't have good lines from at that time. Like the the audio performance wasn't great because he was in very very bad health, 
so they've actually mm. used clips from Mallrats takes, like failed takes that he's done, uh, and used the audio yeah. for that and spliced it into the movie for Captain Marvel. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Although the whole Kevin Smith thing, that guy cries at everything. I mean, quite literally everything. There was the the tweet that someone posted, like, oh, it's just a sci-fi show, grow up here. Like, you're talking <laughs> to Kevin Smith. He he cried like a child that just had his pocket money taken off him, taken off him at the end of The Flash, season one. Which, you know, was pretty sad because it's Barry realising that he can't save his mom and all that shit. But at the end of the day, if you've been reading comics or even know who The Flash is, you've heard the story... Uh, several times it's been retold several more it's like about, crying you know, for Barry, uh, Bruce Barry Wayne's parents getting killed it's like come on bro we knew this was coming <laughs> yeah it was gonna happen it's part of the canon you should be able to deal with it the other one was yeah, it's uh, like crying your eyes out when Uncle Ben dies again like, <laughs> come on <laughs> I just every time someone mentions Uncle Ben dying I think of the meme of like uh, a guy in a Spider-Man suit crying over a bunch of like spilled packets of Uncle Ben's rice <laughs> <laughs> It ruins the fucking sadness that moment every single time, and it's such like when the first time you saw it, you're like, okay, this is a this is a good. It was a good moment the first time you saw it in the uh, uh, the Tobey Maguire movie. I always think of that, and I'm like, oh yeah, that was that was pretty hard to go through that the first time, but now it's just such a meme. It's like, okay, Uncle Uncle Ben dies. Oh, yeah. dude. <laughs> he's up there with uh, Bruce Wayne's parents dying and those fucking arrows dropping that you see every uh, every couple of reboots. Yeah, and uh, we're just talking about um, Kevin Smith. Some, I think it was, a, it was an old Bill Maher uh, episode from one of his shows, and he, he went in on comic books and said, look, at a certain point, people need to stop reading comic books and start reading actual books. And the first person that straight out the gate to defend comic books was Kevin Smith. And unfortunately, <laughs> Kevin Smith does nothing but wear fucking hockey jerseys from uh, yeah, geeky jerseys which I have one of. Yeah. I'm very proud of it. I love it. It's a great quality product. But at the same time, mm-hmm. it really doesn't help your case when you're sitting there on a fucking Mighty Ducks hockey jersey <laughs> saying, no, comic books are serious, legitimate media. <laughs> like, okay, bro, come on. <laughs> you're not helping anyone's argument here. You both have points, but at the same time, could you at least dress the part, please? <laughs> no one respects the Mighty Ducks anymore. Actually, when, oh. was, when was the last time I actually saw that movie? I don't think I remember Mighty Mighty Ducks. Ducks. Yeah. Interesting. I think if, I think if I had something to hunt down. <laughs> We're going back yeah, down in the lockdown, so I've got something cup. to do. Yeah, right. Go back in the lockdown for three weeks. Hooray. I mean, my plan was... Uh, my plan for lockdown is... Obviously, I'll have my dissertation to do, but I'll probably end up re-watching a few episodes of The Mandalorian because uh, that, that show is just doing things better than a lot of Star Wars properties right now. And that's probably because of... Uh, who they've got to run the show. Uh, the guy, Dave Filoni and John Favreau, those two just seem to do no wrong in terms of Star Wars right now. Yeah, I uh, I, I heard they got Bill Burr back. He, uh, he mentioned it on his podcast um, that he yeah. was brought back for a couple episodes and I've seen a couple uh, memes that made it his appearance. Uh, apparently they went to redo the kind of hand shot first uh, bit from the original Star Wars mm-hmm. trilogy. and uh, But yeah. Bill Burr shot first. So interesting. I like yeah. it. Oh, Bill Burr was fucking great in that episode. Because, yeah. uh, obviously, the, his character's called Mayfeld, and he's a former Imperial sharpshooter. And uh, they break him out in the second-to-last episode of Mandalorian because they need to find uh, an Imperial ship. So they need to get codes and shit like that, and he'd be the guy to ask. And uh, it's weird to say that Bill Burr's character goes through some character growth. 
because he actually, you know, he gets his own arc when he finds some he, some guy he recognizes, some guy that he used to work for, and you can just see Bill, Gore, Bill Burr, you know, trying to get at him, you know, just saying, "Oh, you killed so many people, so and all this." Eventually, he just kind of goes, "Fuck it," pulls out the gun and blasts him in the chest with it. <laughs> yeah, I did Pretty see um, like a couple people say he actually like yeah he's a comedian first and foremost, but if he wants to act, he can pull it out. Yeah, he, he, uh, he's got some acting chops now. Yeah, and uh, being in Disney stuff probably helps like raise his profile quite a bit. Yeah, but can you imagine? He going was only from... in three episodes, but I can imagine his name's out there now. Yeah, he's done some other stuff as well. Like he talks about his movies a lot in the podcast. And you're like, oh, I didn't know he was interested yeah. in doing the acting side of things. But I guess when you do stand up for as long as he has, like, you start to look at alternative ideas and just think, oh, maybe there's other things I could do with my career while I've still got it. So yeah, I mean, as well. Imagine going from like Disney Plus and the the Mandalorian and Star Wars to actually seeing Bill Burr's comedy. That's gonna scare some kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although I imagine, I can imagine the person who goes from uh, Bill Burr on uh, the Mandalorian to then watching Bill Burr rant about how much he hates Star Wars <laughs> or how much he dislikes Star Wars at a point. Because obviously, I think Disney probably got to him was like, "Look, you work for Disney." As part of Star Wars, you can't say I fucking hate Star Wars anymore. So you had to all the interviews on podcasts that he was doing afterward was just him going, "Yeah, I said that was a joke, you know. I'm a comedian and all that shit, but I, I don't really mean it. I'm actually cool with Star Wars." But you can actually see the Disney sniper just <laughs> turn off the laser sight. It's just a red dot just drifting across his chest, like, "Uh oh!" <laughs> <laughs> you just see it get cut off immediately. Yeah, I uh, you told me as well that uh, the Who appear in that Star Wars game. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, at the start of the game, when uh, Cal is sitting working away, uh, you know, stripping all the Imperial cruisers and shit like that, he's listening to uh, a song made specifically for Jedi Fallen Order. I'm not even going to try and pronounce the name because I just butcher it. But yeah, he's sitting listening to them over headphones, which is weird to see in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> like someone has, you know, an MP3 player or an iPod or a mobile or something, and they're just sitting jamming out the tunes. So it <laughs> it was quite cool to think that. You know, people still listen to music in the Star Wars universe. They have headphones, but also that a band, a Mongolian metal band, which sounds very niche, <laughs> or very niche, on the sound of it, exists in Star Wars. I just hope that they make a live-action appearance in The Mandalorian or something like that, because that'd be pretty cool. I, uh, I think they could. I think there's a there's a few groups that like, you could have them kind of cameo for a bit, and I think who would be one of them. Because you could just have them yeah, speaking imagine, Mongolian and no one would know what was going on. You'd be like, oh, it's an alien language. Like, no, it's Mongolian. <laughs> imagine, right? Here's the scene, right? Instead of, you know, the Moss Eisley Cantina where you've got the, the band <laughs> playing in the background. <laughs> instead of the alien band, it's the Who. Yes. I, just a place in the. UVUVU. Yeah. UVUVU. Oh, yes. Actually, Shug Shug. I'd take Shug Shug for that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> what was the uh actually thinking about like the idea of having headphones on in the Star Wars universe and all I could think of if they have it in the like the, the Disney Plus setting, it'd be a custom pair of Dre beats. You fucking know it would be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, don't give them ideas. <laughs> nah, <laughs> the worst part is they'd make actual sets of those Dre like headphones or the Beats headphones for Star Wars and they'd put them on the market and it would sell out instantly. They fucking did. They fucking did. When uh, I think it was The Last Jedi came out, they sold... I don't know if it was 
uh, beats, but it, I think it might have been Seinheiser or some shit like that. They put out special Ray and <laughs> fuck, what was his name? Ray and Kylo Ren. Or Kylo Finn? Ren, yeah, they put out Kylo Ren special edition wireless Seinheiser or Bose or Beats headphones, and they were like two hundred and fifty dollars or some shit like that, and they sold out within a week. And <laughs> the shit thing was because they were rushed out so quickly, they were lower end, crappy versions of the high quality products. So they yeah. broke within three uh, three weeks. Nice. That's what you get. <laughs> yeah, that's what you get for buying branded stuff. Yeah. Quoth the Joker, you get what you fucking deserve. Um, I was the other one as well was they did uh special Turtle Beach headphones for the Battlefield game, uh, or Star Wars Battlefields, when the first one came Battlefront. out. Battlefront. Battlefront. Yeah. Uh, when that came out. I remember seeing them, and I'm like, they're the ugliest, because it's all, like, quite shiny plastic to, like, uh, yeah. on the droids, and I was like, ugh, that looks horrific. But everyone's like, oh, no, it's great, man, it's Star Wars. I'm like, Star Wars has yeah. nothing to do with headphones. When is the last time we saw someone in Star Wars with headphones? I think there's, like, three crew operators on a Death Star Destroyer with, like, yeah. headsets, and that's it. Talking about ugly Star Wars stuff, do you remember the branded Xbox 360 Elites? Oh, I try to forget all the like the number of skins that people put on Xboxes. Yeah, there was the gold plated C three PO Xbox three sixty. No. And then there was the blue and white R two D two three sixty, and they both looked fucking horrible, disgusting looking things. Oh, they would. Actually, speaking yeah, of uh, absolutely. speaking of the Who, uh, did you see their uh, cover of Metallica? Sad but true. Yes, I yeah, typically that song because I don't like Metallica, but. Their version was pretty damn good. I have been listening to it. Because after finishing Fallen Order, because you hear that song, their song in this, the game, but two or three times because you get kidnapped by bounty hunters and forced to fight in a pit. Right. In the same blaring. So, like, fighting to Mongoli- Mongolian metal in a Star Wars game. Definitely the highlight of the game. I, uh, like, the, the, the Who video for, like, Sab True came out. And, like, I got my dad into the Who. I'm not entirely sure how I did it. But I just started playing Mongolian Metal and I was like, this is really good. I like it. <laughs> We've been sharing it around. You had a you had a different experience that I did. I played it. Uh, my brother recently moved into a new house. Him and his wife bought a house. And uh, me and my other brother were around at oldest brother's house painting uh, banisters and uh, walls and shit like that. Uh, so I put on the song from Jedi Fallen Order, The Who Did. And within minutes, my oldest brother went, what in the name of fuck is that? Get that <laughs> off. <laughs> just visceral reaction to the hook. <laughs> but uh, I, I like sent a link to because there was there was two good Metallica-based videos that came out in the last year. And the first one was um, Daenerys from Game of Thrones attacking King's Landing with the dragons. Uh, set to For Whom the Bell Tolls. I fucking love it. It is a very well-edited video. It's just the, the sequence of the dragons burning uh, King's Landing the ground set to Metallica and I'm not the biggest Metallica fan but if you get the right video for it it's pretty good um, I think maybe the main one that I actually like of theirs maybe the only one I actually enjoy is uh, one uh, the one about the soldier being blown up by the mine or by the artillery strike in World War One. I. I think that might be the only actual Metallica video I enjoy but everything else like it, it needs like the epic scale that Metallica was trying to go for with the lyrics and between yeah. uh, that for uh, that, the King's Landing video and the Mong- uh, the, the Who cover of uh, Sad But True, like them with all the like the godly powers at the beginnings, fucking amazing. Like the the, the cameo, 
uh, like everyone just yeah. appearing out of uh, various primal forces, or they do like the, everyone else get to just basically sit in green screen while uh, like the the guy did all the the special effects around them, and one guy had to walk out of a pool. Like one guy's just walking out of water, like soaked. Everyone else just get to like walk around looking all menacing. <laughs> one guy had to go for a fucking swim. <laughs> that and the uh, the vulture, the uh, the rude vulture character that appears throughout the video uh, as a representative of death. I'm like, ooh, I like that. I want that. The uh, the weird kind of headset that he's got. I'd love to just have that and run through the town like that and just see what he could like scare the shit out of people. But yeah, it's uh, I'd recommend it. Uh, for some reason they've not called it sad but who but I'll let it slide uh, 9 out of 10 <laughs> <laughs> come on it's sitting right there you gotta go for it yeah it's teed up it is teed up for them maybe they took the high road on that just like you know what let's let's call it let's stick to the original <laughs> imagine like sending an email to like uh, the, the, <laughs> the guys that we're talking about look we want to cover your song is it okay if we call it sad but who <laughs> no no <laughs> <laughs> can't go against Metallica they're very litigious <laughs> oh yeah I forgot that they sue everyone all the time always probably shouldn't have talked shit I was just them. joking but <laughs> yeah they're the ones who started the whole Napster thing uh, the whole lawsuit oh, against yeah. maybe we should stop ragging on Metallica before we get sued you mean the greatest band in the entire world <laughs> with the, with the biggest fattest dicks <laughs> I hope that someone didn't hear that and did hear that at the same time <laughs> But someone heard me say, fuck you, James Hetfield. Ah, oh, there it is. Say it again. <laughs> I was James trying Hetfield. to give the man a nice, pleasant compliment about his cock, and you have to ruin it. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to pay him a compliment. It's called, fuck you, James <laughs> Hetfield. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, the only other music that I've really uh, been paying some attention to music releases from 2020, because um, we're also trying to do the, the best of 2020 for, this, uh, for the next episode, and I've been going back through albums that came out this year. Wasn't a lot. Mm. Um, but the only other thing that came out recently was uh, Eminem did uh, part two for music to be murdered by. It was okay. I've put it on a couple times, and it's you know it's more of new Eminem. It's not as funny as it used to be, and a lot of it's about him being like very sad and serious. But it's interesting from time to time. And the idea of doing it as like a Hitchcock style pre- uh, presentation is pretty cool. I like that as a as a weird yeah. kind of nod. I'm okay with that. But other than that, eh. yeah, I've, I've I've heard worse from Eminem, uh, especially in the last couple of years. I genuinely, the newest music I've listened to this year is probably uh, Killer B Kills' new record, and that's but everything else has been old shit that I've hashed up. But yeah, we'll we'll save that for the the best of wrap up episode at the end of the year. Hmm. But speaking of new. Um, I sat down to watch uh, Train to Busan, uh, yes. sequel called Peninsula, and uh, we talked a lot about this film initially uh, when it first kind of did the rounds, or when we started the podcast back up again. And like the first one, I genuinely consider it to be a modern classic zombie film. Don't know about you. I have a copy of it borrowed oh. from you, and I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> Is that where my copy went? <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was thinking. Myself, I told I wonder, you that when you when you moved uh, flats, I told you I've still got your copy of Train to Busan. So you did. And you said, "No, nah, man, keep it, watch it, <laughs> keep keep it, watch it, it'll be fine." Um, okay, right. So I now have to try and rewrite my review without spoiling too much. Um, but I would say it was not as good as the first one. But as I said, I consider the first one to be uh, a modern classic. 
And uh, I'd heard initially, uh, and actually some of this came from uh, Philip DeFranco, uh, who was one of the first people to kind of start shouting about how good the first one was. So when he said yeah. that the sequel was coming, I was like, oh, interesting. And then when he saw the sequel and said, going with tempered expectations, I was very worried. <laughs> um, it, apparently a lot of it stems from CGI. Uh, with it, well, that was his initial concern was it's not the same feel and he thought the computer generated stuff had uh, a lot to do with that but uh, he's underselling it the amount of CGI in this movie is excessive because they have a a key part of it is you have a team of people going in to uh, grab a bit of cash there's like a couple million of US dollars sitting in a truck somewhere in downtown Korea that hasn't been touched somehow um and they have like this uh, group of people going to try and grab it but they have to drive all over the place to try and find it and they have to drive away from zombies or through zombie hordes i think you've probably seen some of this in the trailer um only mm-hmm. thing is all the cars and all the buildings are cgi and this is probably uh, about half the movie is driving scenes so driving scenes yeah, yeah. that's not what you want in a zombie it's a shame though because uh, like in uh, as with the the original, there's there's like ideas that are worth exploring in a movie, and with the second one, there's those ideas. Uh, there's a little bit of play with those ideas. There's also new ideas that they have, um, like the the main kind of bad guys, the main human survivors that are in the area, are a former military unit who were supposed to go in and extract people, but got stuck, and just said, mm, "Fuck it, let's just be warlords." And so you have those guys uh, being like this really horrific, cruel force of nature, just trying to, like, uh, they actually have a sport where they trap people inside, uh, like, a giant cage, just trap, like, ten people in a cage with zombies, and you've got to survive for two minutes. Like, interesting. (laughs) They're trying to ration food, so they, like, celebrate with, uh, they find, like, if they find a truck of food, they celebrate with the game, and uh, you have, like, characters getting stuck in the game. And it's mm. it's interesting. There's there's some ideas there, like how do you have uh, zombie-based sports? I mean, we've seen that idea elsewhere. Do you remember, uh, what's the game where you're in the mall um, fighting zombies for like 72 hours? Um, oh, uh, Dead Rising. Dead Rising, yes. Uh, so like the idea of zombie sports isn't entirely new, but it was this was way more brutal than uh, what you had in Dead Rising. Yeah. And, uh, Incidentally, that is the one game that was recommended to me so fucking often that was so instantly disappointing because literally the entire game is just mowing down zombies which is fun for two hours but the whole game which is about a 10 to 12 hour game is just mowing down zombies and saving people and then fighting more zombies then occasionally you'll just you'll fight a madman with a chainsaw <laughs> then fight fucking zombies and trying to sa- save someone while they run through a horde of zombies might be the most painful experience in gaming I've ever had because the AI in that was not pulling its own weight Let's be honest. No, they were brain dead. Absolutely fucking brain dead. Unironically brain dead. But uh, yeah, the the like the the ideas out there are pretty cool. But at the same time, I I can't get over the fact that every CGI scene looks like uh, Need for Speed, like from way back in there, like Need for Speed Underground too. That type of level is like computer generated cars, and uh, there's moments that just take you right out of like really intense moments and action scenes, like the idea that a fifteen year old is like driving a jeep through like this crowded dilapidated city and is just like being able to put the like the car sideways through various uh like tight tight traps and stuff 
that just so happened to always go off when she needed to but never trap her. And I'm like, if you just took it down 10% with the, like, the kids yeah. driving or the coincidences or the luck that characters have, I'd be a bit more okay with it. And all the CGI, I'd say, pretty much fails up until they start using floodlights. Um, it's a it's a plot point, the first one, that the zombies react to light a bit more mm-hmm. than they do, like, they just have bad low light vision. So you have, that as a pretty cool idea that's established in the first film. Uh, but then they actually just go all in on it in the second one, like, to the point where a, a lethal weapon in this is a grenade launcher that shoots flares because it illuminates the sky so the zombies can see you. you know, okay, interesting. But uh, as a viable threat, you know, a couple stage lights, mm, it's not quite the same. But all the, uh, I think the, the problem with a lot of the CGI is because I was of the characters want to keep it dark. But I think part of the problem with the, like the CGI for this is that they had a set design that was a lot darker than originally, than what you actually see. And I think it's because they had everything set out to be incredibly dark and then boosted the brightness afterwards to try and compensate. Which is why I think it really works when uh, they actually like pull out floodlights and properly illuminate the scenes and it looks a lot better. But when you have this weird kind of grey middle area that most of the film seems to be uh, focused on, it doesn't work that well. That we yeah. predicted like a bunch of character things that would happen uh, like half an hour into the movie. Like a little girl with a remote control car is going to somehow save someone with a remote control car by distracting zombies with it. And sure enough, like 10 minutes later, she fucking did it. <laughs> we were, uh, we're, we're having a good time with the movie, but it was mostly because we were heavily drinking at the time. So, you know, it was, <laughs> it, it was a fun experience, but it's not the same as the first. Yeah. I kind of hate that. I got disappointed by a few films that did that. I think, you know, going back to Star Wars, it was, you know, Force Awakens was good. And I think I've seen that film about four times in, in a cinema. Then to go from that to The Last Jedi was just kind of, oh boy, uh, <laughs> who the fuck? Why is why is uh, Luke your drunk dad? <laughs> you know, what the fuck is this? But yeah, it's always diminishing returns in films are never good enough. But you're, you're definitely saying that the first film is still a must, yes. must see. But if you are looking for a spiritual successor, I would recommend going to Netflix and looking for uh, Hashtag Alive. That's, uh, another... Boy, that film is outstanding. I fucking love that film. Oh, I've you seen saw that. Excellent. Um, yeah. I would say Alive is a bit more of a corny version of the same world that uh, Train to Busan is. Yeah. So... It's definitely a bit more kind of influent, and the ending is very, very influential. <laughs> In the, in the sense of, you know, there's this is how a YouTube, Twitter, Instagram uh, influencer would react to a zombie apocalypse. They would reach out to their fans and shit like that. They would, you know, try and connect to someone through their fucking phone. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, actually, I really dug that film. Yeah, I, I want to go back and watch it again. I feel like oh, it might, I might enjoy a second watch. The, the, the first watch is great uh but like uh, there's certain scenes like the the stampede uh as they realize like something has gone off and the zombies are just running across like the big buildings i think it's when the planes come at one point they're like oh the the, the army's like fuck it let's just start bombing people um and then we just see like a zombie stampede to get away from the zo- uh away from the bombs it's terrifying in a life but i i don't think there's anything that really matches it in the the train to busan sequel but the original i'd say there's a lot in there that's of the same caliber like it's really impressed me with how well the movie sticks in my head 
Like I still think about it from time to time. Yeah, there's always a, I mean, there's always a space in my head for good horror films. I mean, the last film that I did that to, obviously there was hashtag alive, but uh, I recently watched The Lighthouse. Oh right, yeah. Well, Robert Pattinson. That film is talk about doing so much with so little. It's insane how good that film is. Directed by Robert Eggers, who directed um, the or the. The Witch when it was spelled with two V's. Oh, which, the Vivitch. You know, the Witch was a awful movie. I, yeah, the Vivitch. I did not like that movie. I thought it was bad. You know, very, very bad. But uh, his second outing was pretty damn good. Uh, the Lighthouse. I'd highly recommend picking it up. You can go on Amazon right now and get it for a tenner. On Blu-ray, so I'd highly recommend it. From what I've heard, that's a steal. Because you're not the first yep. person to recommend that. I'm very lazy. <laughs> I still have Whiplash sitting in my DVD, <laughs> DVD file of stuff to watch. That's how far behind I am. I'm behind on Oscar winners from like two years ago. I actually... I was given for my birthday and the amount of uh, Blu-rays that I bought between uh, the start of fourth year in uni till now is unbelievable. And I just keep accruing more shit. <laughs> but I'll get through it, I swear. <laughs> One day. Potentially. Sooner or later. <laughs> actually, what yeah, do... I'm just going to... All-nighter. I'm going to watch them all. What is the longest you think you could watch movies for? Uh, I the longest I watched movies is I watched every single Marvel movie from the Incredible Hulk, you know the Ed Norton version, to you know the Tony the Rob Downey Jr. Iron Man all the way to Avengers Assemble. Right. Which doesn't seem like a long time, but it was you know uh, the Incredible Hulk, Iron Man, Thor, Captain America. Then Avengers at the end of it. It's still, you know, 10 hours of film. So I think I went for that long just watching films one after the other. But then a few years after that, we did the same thing, but up to Age of Ultron. Ooh. And this was all raised money. For, I used to, I was a youth worker. Right. And we raised money for the, the local youth club. And uh, we did that from you know, Incredible Hulk all the way through Age of Ultron. And I was ready to kill someone after that. I was like, because <laughs> it was uh, a lock in we did down at uh, the local church yeah. that. Uh, we both used to go back in, back in the religious days. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and it was a horrible experience because I was just like, if one more sweaty kid comes up to me and says, "I want to go home," I'm gonna just throw them out the door. <laughs> like it's, it's getting bad. I think the longest one I have is like thirteen hours for the Lord of the Rings extended trilogy, and I think that was probably the closest I've gone to like a marathon of movies. But I was thinking, like, if I sat down and just laid out like back to back, maybe not. Um, Maybe not like such a theme, but just went for like serious or intense movies back to back to back. I wonder how long it could last. Just see if I could keep myself going for like 20 straight hours of watching nothing but really good films. <laughs> Be I, absolutely I insane someone, by the end someone, of it. Someone that I go to uni with for their birthday, because they basically had their birthday off then Easter break last year. They watched all of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings back to back over a weekend. And then, because they did this on the last week last weekend before we came back to uni so on the monday they came in uh, our class was up at one o'clock in the afternoon and they were just angry they did not want to be there they were just <laughs> raging because they watched all these films back to back i would be stuck if he did that to me i'd be doing like a smeagol impression like a, a golem impression all the way through the class <laughs> take me like i reckon three days i would have de- i reckon i would have developed a, a gandalf type accent just to talk to everybody <laughs> or just stuck in that accent to really piss people off 
Actually, what day? Uh, just have you heard about this Tom Cruise thing? Yeah, apparently he shouted at a bunch of actors because they broke COVID regulations. It was a, I think I don't think it was actors. I think it was people just on like set. Um, so people making a Mission Impossible movie with him, and his uh, right. his tirade was secretly filmed or secretly recorded. And I gotta right. say, I'm kind of with Tom Cruise on this one. Like yeah. I know it's like pretty oh, he's, he's in a position of privilege and he shouldn't be yelling down at people who work for him or his employees. And I'm like, yeah, but like, listen to what he's actually doing. Like, listen to what he's uh, basically bankrolling with his integrity at this point is the, like the idea that you could make films under COVID precautions, and then if you see some people fucking it up, and it's been like months of just sweating about all the like the money that's been lost making movies, and you're part of it, like I'd be freaking out too, and I'd probably like yeah maybe he just blew a gasket, and just someone happened to get it on film, but like I I kind of get it, I kind of get what he's going for. I mean, yeah, maybe take it down a pe- take it down a peg, but you know, I I like him stepping in and say, look, we we can't have this. Like we're risking way too much, and it's not just about you. It's not just about what we do today on the set. It's about bigger stuff for the industry that's going on at the moment. Yeah. Like I I agree with him on that one. Like you know, it's a big risk, and it's kind a similar of- thing happened in a in the rugby world where a. The Barbarians are kind of conglomeration of some of the best talents along there. Thirteen players, England and Scottish mixed, uh, broke COVID regulations, and the captain just fucking, or the captain, the team manager just bailed out on them, and everyone's like, well, "Is this a bit harsh?" No, <laughs> very much in their rights. No, it's it's so like we're we're trying to lead the way with uh, the fight on COVID, and yet you have like like really successful people just being like, eh, "It doesn't really account for me." Uh, it doesn't yeah, really. The rules don't really follow, or rules don't really count. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, and you're like, mm. you dick, <laughs> get get in the bin, motherfucker. I, uh, like I say, the one people who like wouldn't have an issue with uh, cracking down on COVID regulations. I've been listening to a podcast recently uh, called uh, the Dictators Podcast it's by a group called Parcast, and it's going through like the first three sets of episodes are. Uh, what was it again? Uh, Hitler, uh, Benito Mussolini, and Joseph Stalin, and hearing about their rises to power. Like it's two, like roughly hour long episodes each, uh, with a little bit of uh, repeating themselves. And like it's, it's a very well produced podcast. Um, like they keep going into what seems like ad breaks during the middle of conversations, and it's it's okay. Um, like, but there's clearly like little gaps, and they have to go back and retrace their steps for like thirty, forty seconds every time you have one of these weird like little. It's like it like it's like an ad break, but there's no advert in there. But the uh the the stuff that they've made, or the stuff that they've uh the stories they've been able to tell about guys like Benito Mussolini, like I had no, we know a lot about Hitler and Joseph Stalin, but when it came to Mussolini, that guy was basically just fucked from the get go, and it's a very interesting. Uh, perspective on World War Two, because like we never really heard from, we didn't learn about it much growing up. We heard a lot about Hitler and a little bit about Stalin, but I'd never actually considered uh, Mussolini's point of it. But I never knew that uh, Mussolini was, at one point anyway, a kind of mentor figure to Hitler. And I'm like, oh, that's just really weird and creepy. I might be this evil. <laughs> yeah, he taught you all this. Uh, you, oh. <laughs> 
but uh yeah it's it's a good podcast i'd recommend it um there is stuff in there that i say like it's a bit commercial it's not like a discussion about things not as related to like it's not like historians telling the story but the, the people doing the job actually are pretty good storytellers so give it a go if you're looking for something new to to listen to um what's the name of that podcast again if you just want to chuck up it is dictators podcast by parcast I think podcasts like a, a group that make podcasts. Kind of, there's a few of them popping up now, but yeah, they they do a good job. Yes, yeah, so if you want to learn about dictators, give those guys a shit. Yeah. I uh, don't know how to segue from that into talking about Dragon Ball Z. Hmm. But, uh, I have a I have a here comes a new challenger for this week. So play the music. Here comes a new challenger. I, I got it. I got it. Speaking of dictators, dictators from space, Frieza with an eye. Fraser. Fraser. Uh, this uh, this week's here come here comes a new challenger. I was going to talk a bit about uh, Sephiroth in uh, Smash Brothers Ultimate, but there's been so many people that beat me to the punch talking about Sephiroth that uh, you know I'm I'm not even going to talk about it. The only thing I'll say about it is that I was just glad it wasn't you know Fortnite Jim or whoever the <laughs> hell it, it, the internet thought it was going to be. Uh, to be honest, I have already said everything I think about Sephiroth in previous episodes cool character but not a cool villain uh, the characters I want to talk about this week are uh, this week like we have a time like we have a <laughs> schedule for the show uh, this episode is uh, the two new characters they, uh, they capped off Fighters Past 3 and Dragon Ball Fighters those being uh, Super Baby 2 and uh, Super Saiyan 4 Gogeta from Dragon Ball GT which for me just gives me a very very bad headache because it makes me think of very bad GT plot lines and how stupid the whole baby arc was, and how stupid in general I think Gogeta is. <laughs> not not Gogeta, uh, Super Saiyan Four is. I'm I'm cool with Gogeta because Gogeta was cool and Super Broly, but I really really fucking hate Super Saiyan Four. <laughs> From it's... you know the Pink Panther hair and the Super Saiyan eighties mum do that he's got. It looks just fucking stupid. And the red eyeliner. What the fuck? Clearly Toriyama had nothing to do with this. And. It made me really, really appreciate Toriyama's less is more approach to transformations because you've got, you know, uh, Super Saiyan 1, the hair changes colour. Super Saiyan 2, the hair changes slightly in terms of shape and he gets lightning. Super Saiyan 3, he just gets the big fucking, you know, long hair. Yeah. Then you get God and uh, Blue and it's all just different variations on colours and things like that. That's cool. I like those transformations. What I don't like is the big out-of-place transformations that make them look like some kind of weird cosplay of the Pink Panther. And it's weird when characters in Dragon Ball Z gain clothes during transformations. And there was yes. a, a bit of an interview with or was a bit of a, an interview that was dissected by Team Four Star for their transformation series uh, that they're doing this year where they go yeah. down like the best Dragon Ball Z transformations. Apparently Super Saiyan four was gonna have a cape. They were gonna add a cape huh. just out of nowhere. And I'm like, why though? <laughs> Capes aren't a same thing. What the fuck is this? Yeah. Unless you're King Vegeta. True, yeah, but you know he's king, so yeah. yeah. I really, say that uh, characters are a wasted. Uh, putting new characters into a game are a wasted slot, but uh, putting more GT characters into this game is very much a wasted, <laughs> wasted slot in my opinion. Because uh, instead of you know uh, another Gogeta, maybe you could have put in a more obscure car- obscure character like Oob. Maybe instead of Super Baby Two, you could have put in fuck, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Name another GT Happy or some shit like that. 
Uh, wait, is he not in there? No, not yet. God damn it. <laughs> it's him and Pycon. Those two guys get the shaft in the sh- in Dragon Ball in general, and I'm so yeah. fed up. <laughs> Pycon was <Yeah>. so cool. <laughs> Pycon is just Piccolo without a nose. That's what makes him cool. <laughs> He's aerodynamic Piccolo. <laughs> in the wind chamber. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't get why they're focusing more on GT characters, because I think... Uh, if if you didn't have those two characters and you could add it in, you know, Oob, Chi Chi, uh, you could add it in. Like, there's other female characters out there. You could add a bit more of them in. You could have added uh, Majin, Vegeta, you know. Like, we've got enough Gokus. Maybe, you know, even up with the Vegeta side. Uh, fuck, I would have I took Bibidi at this point over another uh, <laughs> Fusion or another GT character. Have they brought uh, Demon King Deburo back in? Uh, no. Uh, There's he, another character. Have him. <laughs> he didn't really do much in the show. He just spat on people and used a sword. So yeah, but he was a fun character in the the old Dragon Ball Z fighting games, mostly because he could freeze you. Yeah, that's true. I suppose. I think we can all agree though that the next character for Dragon Ball Fighter should be Farmer with a shotgun. Yeah, <laughs> Farmer with a shotgun, but it actually works. <laughs> yeah. A fight with martial right. arts? No, you won't. Because <laughs> <laughs> let's face it. Farmer with a shotgun would be far more interesting than fucking Raditz. <laughs> Who was the... Uh, what was it? The, yeah, because... Uh, I'm trying to think of one of the characters from like way back. And there was a... Because I've finished watching Dragon Ball. What about that hmm. vampire that shows up for no fucking reason? The vampire? Yeah, uh, there's a vampire that shows up as part of Baba's uh, like team that you've got to fight to try and get her to reveal a location to you. So you can, she can basically huh. see, she can see um, any object. You say, I need to find, I've lost my car keys. Where did I leave them? Uh, and you can pair like seven millions any, or you can fight her team of uh, monsters. And she is like, uh, she is like the, the mummy and a wolf guy, and she's a vampire. Bring back the fucking vampire. Huh. It was cool as hell. Yeah, go for it. And then uh, she's Grandpa Gohan as well. She's the ghost of Grandpa Gohan who just shows up to beat up people. <laughs> Not even joking. That's the thing that happens. <laughs> yeah, there's there's such a big roster of characters available to anyone making a Dragon Ball Z uh, game. I have no idea why you would just keep adding more Gokus and Vegetas. Yeah. I mean, it's not even the case that they add in more Vegetas. Vegeta has uh, Base Warm, Vegeta, Super Saiyan Vegeta, and Super Saiyan Blue. If you count the fusions in that, fair enough. I, I don't really, because those are separate characters. That Goku has Ultra Instinct Goku, Base Goku, Super Saiyan One Goku, Super Blue Goku, Goku Black. <laughs> eh, eh, who else? Eh, used Zamasu is technically just another Goku as well. True. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's too many Gokus. Not enough Vegetas. We need more Vegetas. I'm now imagining the the too many cooks video that went viral a couple of years back with too many Gokus. <laughs> nope. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> oh. But how are they? Are they balancing these new characters well in the game? Are they are they actually playing well compared to like other characters that are being more established in the game? I still tweaking. Well, tell you the truth, I haven't played Dragon Ball Fighters since um, DBS Broly came out, and DBS Broly was pretty damn good because he, despite his size, is a speedy, speedy motherfucker. Which fits with character. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good, uh, and. I, there was always an intention to go and buy uh, Master Roshi and 
you know, Kefla and the rest of them, Master Dolphins like Goku. I just never got around to it. And to be honest, with Super Baby 2 and Super Saiyan 4 Gogeta being added in, I'm in no rush to pick them up, you know? Mm. I, I, I can wait. I was going to say, do you think that's you just kind of hands up off the game, or do you think you'll come back to it eventually? I mean, I'll probably come back to it, because without a doubt they're making a Dragon Ball Fighters 2. Dragon Ball Fighters 1 made them far too much money, and it's still far too popular for them to put it down. Uh, the amount of tournament coverage this gets, so... Do you yeah, think, I think Dragon Ball Fighters 2 is around the corner. Do you think they'll make a second one, or do you think they'll actually go and make a remaster for the next-gen consoles? Well, you can already play it on uh, Series X, because all previous Xbox One games are playable on your Series X. So, I mean, like, remaster in the, the context of, like, they give you another version of the game, but also it comes with all DLC. I reckon, given how quick... Because the, the game itself was made by a company called Arc System Works, which make which make the uh, Guilty Gear series of games and the Blaze Blue series of games, and how quickly they get point twos or point five versions or new versions of the game put out. I reckon they would just make a version of a second game as opposed to you know rehash the same one. Mm-hmm. Okay, just I was thinking about with uh, like marketing these type of games now, they tend to end up more as living games that exist on multiple systems mm-hmm. rather than making a sequel. Because it depends how long you want to keep the game out there. Yeah, I I don't think uh, Arc System Works. They kind of have a Arc System Works games. I say they have a they have a shelf life because Gu- Guilty Gear at the height of its powers was played constantly, but now it's just kind of disappeared. Whereas uh, Dragon Ball Fighters, because of the tournaments, both hosted by Bandai Namco and hosted by other people, are still going strong. So. I, I don't see them walking away for that anytime soon, so they probably will just keep plugging away at that before they think, oh, let's make a, a, a second game for a while yet. But uh, whatever they do next, I'm willing to pick up and play because, like most people, when I heard they were making a, a Dragon Ball fighting game and it was going to be 3 versus 3, I thought, this is just going to be some weird, shitty version of Budokai that's going to be popular for a little while and then it's going to disappear, kind of like the Budokai games. But instead, we got basically Marvel versus Capcom but with Dragon Ball characters <laughs> and anyone who listens to this podcast knows that two of my most favourite things on the planet are Marvel versus Capcom fighting games and Dragon Ball Z so the, the fusion of those two creates something that is better than the sum of its parts whereas the sum of its parts or the parts that are that make the sum total were pretty fucking good to begin with so yeah whatever Arc System Works make next guarantee I'll be buying it. I won't be playing it online because I'm not that sadistic. I don't want to get beaten <laughs> by people that do nothing but play Dragon Ball Fighters online. The fighting game people are insane. Yeah, they're dedicated, dedicated, not insane. <laughs> <laughs> no, insane. I've, I've seen the forum <laughs> posts. They're insane. <laughs> oh yeah, some of them are, are some of them are insane and smelly, but most of them are just insane. Yeah, I, I thought uh, looking at Smash Bros. players. I was about to say. I, I thought Smash Bros. seemed quite casual. It seemed like a kind of fun game you could pick up and put down from time to time. Nah, never put it down. Just play. Just play Smash Bros. No. The the fighting game community surrounding Smash Bros. is, you know, very, very involved. There's a lot of people that, you know, get well on the nitty gritty of Smash Bros. You know, you know, get into the frame data and, you know, talk about which character has advantage over this character and strategize. Say, for example, when Sephiroth drops, there was someone that got that at midnight, unlocked it, 
and did nothing but play matches against level nine Sephiroths and against you know online Sephiroths just to see exactly what Sephiroth could do. That is, I say, insane. Like I, I see the the Reddit. There's like I think there's like a, a subreddit for it, and it was like just when patch notes came out, I was like. Oh my god! <laughs> I yeah. thought the Destiny community was bad, or the, the Seven Days to Die community was bad. Holy shit! Yeah. yeah, I get into a fighting game, but when people start throwing frame data and shit about, because I I went to a Smash Bros tournament once, and between the fungus growing on the walls and the venue that we were in, and just the overwhelming bad smell of, uh, you know, food partially <laughs> chewed because no one chewed with a fucking mouth closed. It was disgusting, and too little deodorant. I wanted to leave, but people were talking about oh, this new character being dropped in. They they act they work on this kind of frame data, and this character worked on that frame data. And I'm just sitting there going, I play this game at home with my friends. <laughs> you know, I beat them a few times, so I thought the tournament would be fun. But I was horribly, horribly incorrect. Horribly, horribly mistaken. Speaking of horribly mistaken, let's uh, go to our showstopper, shall we? Let's do it. So, uh, this was a kind of weird story that I've been, I've been trying to just find the right time and place for it. We keep finding better things to talk about. And I just was like, okay, I should need to tell the story of uh, Mitsuyasu Mino, who was okay. probably one of uh, Japan's last kamikaze pilots. He was never in World War One though, or World War Two. sorry. He was born in 1947 and uh, doesn't, not a lot really known about uh, where he grew up and stuff like that. Uh, but we knew that he attended acting classes in University of Cal- California in 1967. And after that, he uh, went back to Japan and pursued a career in acting. Uh, he was trying to make it work as just a regular actor. Didn't quite pan out very well. And he ended up doing uh, what's called a pink film or a porn film in Japan. Softcore stuff, like the kind of uh, teasing erotic stuff they have rather than like hardcore penetration stuff. So it didn't really affect his uh, social standing that much, but he still didn't do very well in life. Uh, we know that he was married twice, and both en- uh, marriages ended in divorce. Uh, and that's very little that's actually known about him, other than you know what we just talked about. He then uh, gets into a group of far white, uh, far right, far white. No, <laughs> he goes into like a group of uh, right wing. And uh, ultra nationalist Japanese uh, like political groups, um, and basically the ultra nationalist side is wanting a return to uh, World War Two policies of Japan, where they basically go out, build an empire, say fuck you to the world, and uh, conquer what they think is rightfully theirs uh, by building up the military. And unfortunately, there was a lot in place to prevent that from happening after you know World War Two. Mm-hmm. So, um. During the like 1970s, he actually uh, tried to, or he got into a group uh, with a guy called Yuko Mashima, who was a political writer and pundit who tried to uh, convince the military to have a government coup. And uh, overthrow the government uh, during the uh, like 1970s, and it kind of didn't go as well as planned. Nobody really listened to him, and uh, he falling true to his word uh, to want to return to a samurai uh, era of Japan, committed ritual suicide after his coup didn't work. So, <laughs> it, uh, you know, these guys are, like, really committed to the bit. I'll give them that, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean. We want to live like samurai, we die like samurai. Um, so that happened in, like, 1970. So in 1971, 
Mino attends a ultra-nationalist meeting in Tokyo's Okaru Hotel. Uh, during uh, one of the like speeches and ceremonies and stuff, uh, they play a song uh, called Song of the Race, which is composed by a right-wing uh, leader, Yoshio Kodama. It's a bit of a weird name uh, to spell it, but it's yeah, Yoshio Kodama. Uh, the lyrics of the song, uh, which are just kind of... Pre- it's presented as kind of like a national anthem, are basically saying, fuck the government, restore Japan to World War II imperial uh, samurai policies, basically. So everyone in this entire organization is like, fuck everyone else, pro-Japan, let's go back to pre-World War II, take over the globe, and make the world a better place by being Japanese. And uh, it turns out that one of the guys involved, uh, Yoshio Kodama, was actually working as a like pretty serious politician and was involved in what's called the Lockheed bribery scandals, which is... Uh, Lockheed Martin, who are now a major defence contractor in the United States, were basically trying to sell planes to everyone who could buy them. And this is after, uh, this is during the height of the Cold War. So there's a lot of like insider trading, uh, bribery and corruption going on. And it turns out the ultra-nationalist uh, Yoshio Kodama has been taking bribes uh, from Lockheed Martin, who is trying to convince the Japanese government to buy as many of their planes as they can fit in a bag, basically. Uh, and Kodama. Does it literally mean bag? Like, does this guy not know how big planes are? <laughs> no, no, no. no. Um, but this is uh, the like the the news of the the scandals and the, the bribery takes place in 1976, and Kodama had been in his house since he had a stroke in 1975. Uh, at this point, Mino takes actions into his own hands and decides he's going to uh, get revenge on his uh, former like inspiration as a, a right-wing nationalist uh by he's gonna kamikaze pilot a plane into the guy's house <laughs> so he uh, goes out to an airfield dressed as a kamikaze pilot but convinces uh people to let them in uh, him and two of his friends are allowed in because they say they're filming a segment for a film there's no record of them actually bringing cameras to this by the way so <laughs> they get dressed up in full kamikaze gear, go out to a local uh, like airstrip, grab a couple of planes and set off, and fly around in the sky for a couple of hours. So after like an hour of flying, uh, Mino decides it's time to do the deed, and uh, proceeds to go over to the neighbourhood uh, Setagaya, which is roughly the uh, like it's the rough location of where he knows this politician lives. He then puts out one last broadcast. Uh, giving the number of uh, his plane, uh, JA3551, uh, before saying, Sorry, I haven't replied for a long time, along with the Emperor, Tenno Hikai Banzai, which is uh, basically the last charge cry of a kamikaze pilot. So he then proceeds to smash the plane into the person's house, and uh, unfortunately he doesn't actually get his man. Turns out that the uh, politician has been sleeping on the other side of the building, so all he did was just smash a plane inside of a building and die himself. Other than that, no one else is really harmed, as far as I can tell, uh, from various reports, uh, because this was reported in the Associated Press. So, uh, after the like plane crash, it sets fire to part of the house. Unfortunately, the, uh, the politician that's in the building... Oh, I keep forgetting his name as well. Kodama. Kodama is heavily associated with the Yakuza. 
who have put a couple of guards in there, oh. <laughs> who've put a couple of guards in there for his own well-being. Uh, and then they hear a plane crash on the side of the building, investigate it, and put the fires out themselves, which is kind of impressive. Um, but then the press show up to try and figure out why a fucking plane fell into a building, and the Yakuza get into fights with the press that show up. <laughs> it's just like the idea of Yakuza fighting with a bunch of journals. <laughs> the, uh, the the press who showed up, obviously want to take tons of photos and stuff, and the Yakuza are like, get the fuck out, <laughs> you know, disturbing the boss. Um, and the coverage for this is really weird because some of the people uh, are actually pretty sympathetic to the guy who did the, the kamikaze attack saying that you know mino is basically lashing out at corrupt politicians who are taking bribes and uh you know are being two-faced about their policies and you know they're just in it to make a quick buck for themselves so if you're going to take out a politician eh, you might as well go for it there's a couple of other people who reply to this you know it's it's really inappropriate for someone his age, I mean, he's born in 1947, um, to be basically recreating World War II terrorist attacks on Japanese soil against Japanese people. Um, there's a quote uh, from a uh, editorial in Minichi Shimbum asked a question, is, uh, is it imaginable that a young German, not a wartime officer, would commit suicide in Nazi uniform shouting Heil Hitler? Uh, coming more than 30 years after the end of World War II. Mino's kamikaze fight, uh, flight revealed the ghost the Japanese wanted to forget. Um, okay, it's a, it's a fair uh, fair criticism, you know. I mean, imagine you know, the pain of losing World War II being, let's just say, humbled by two nuclear bombs being dropped on major cities in Japan and then having a bunch of kids start acting out as uh, World War II kamikaze pilots. We probably would send a bit of a chill down your spine. Yeah. That's not my favourite criticism of this, though. That oh, comes oh, from... Oh. <laughs> that comes from Kaichi Ito, who was the Director General for Training of the Japanese uh, Self-Defence Forces, who said that uh, Mino's act was tainted by self-serving motives, not sacrifice for the, company, uh, for the country. Uh, he said that Mino was performing an egotistical grandstand uh, play to win publicity, not unlike uh, the previous, politi- uh, previous uh, political writer Mishima's suicide. They're both showing off to the world in this kind of fake masculinity. And that's quite interesting. Only thing is, though, uh, he said he commended Mino's technique on the attack, commenting that if Mino's intent had been to kill Kodama, he could not have known where he would have been located in the house. Ito said the bombing was very skillful. I give him the highest marks on that score. That's a weird comment to come from someone. <laughs> it gets better. The, uh, the the man making that comment, uh, Kaichi Ito, probably is pretty well qualified to give someone a grade on their attempt at a kamikaze attack because he is a surviving kamikaze pilot himself from World War II. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Can you imagine performing a suicide bombing and being graded by a former suicide bomber? What the fuck? <laughs> Uh, I mean, you can't be that good of a kamikaze pilot if you survived. I mean, so <laughs> the kamikaze, as far as I can tell, was the last resort. That was like, I guess we're not making it home. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Screw it. <laughs> Push the button down and away we go. But I, because I, I, this whole thing, uh, it's there was a quote actually from a historian of the Lockheed uh, like 
the, the bribery scandal because apparently the Lockheed Martin guys were going all over the, con- uh, the com- country, all over the globe, trying to sell planes to anyone who would take them and just forcing money into their pockets. But uh, there's a historian by the name of David Bolton that writes that the attack on one of the leading political figures in, Jap- in Japan at the time by a pornographic actor aptly summed up the obscenity of it all. <laughs> that's a great fucking quote of like, yeah, that's par for the course. <laughs> that's how we describe Lockheed Martin. Fuck. <laughs> I think that's going to be it for so the show. So many layers to that story, man. I know. Porn stars are like the far right of Japan. <laughs> bribery international scandal and then some guy being like kamikaze time <laughs> i know what will solve this problem <laughs> he's blaring flight of the valkyries as he does it oh i think that's gonna end the show um yeah <laughs> i think we can come back from that one but uh if no. you if you like to contact the can. show you can reach out to us uh at uh at twitter or at jibberfish on twitter it's been well we're rusty folks uh yeah. you can get us on email at jibberfish uh, podcast at gmail.com um, you can reach out to me at Aaron Lord Mad you can reach out to Dom at uh, Dom Anderson 25 um, I think that'll be it you've now got me second guessing yeah, yeah, Dom Anderson 25 <laughs> Dom Anderson 25 and so yeah um, until the next time I've been Colin Graham I've been Dom Anderson and we've been talking gibberfish a government organisation <laughs>